When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Get to the Good Part. I am Ryan. And this is Chris. And with us today is Willie Simpson. You, <laughs> might, all <know> him. <laughs> you might all know him from the podcast, uh, the X-Men TAS podcast. It's where they go over an episode of the X-Men, the animated series show from back in the 90s, one episode at a time. Uh, we're kindred spirits. Willie, welcome to the show. Uh, th- thank you so much, guys. Chris, Ryan, uh, thank you. I can't believe I'm here. Yeah! <laughs> Ready player one. Let's go. <laughs> so before we get started, uh, Willie, kind of just give us a, a little bit of background with you with this book. Oh, well, I've read this book like I, – I don't really know how many times. It, it's probably pushing 10. Uh, like many, I, I first listened to it, the Will Wheaton version um, uh-huh. and, Listen to it, huh? And yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's I, how you I have, do it. I have read it many times though, too. But like his voice is oh. kind of unfortunately tattooed in my brain when I read it. Um, mm. but no, I, I, you know, I thought he did a good job. But um, but yeah, so I'm well versed in this book. Um, and uh, I'm very excited to be here. You know, I just reached out to you guys randomly because I really enjoyed your podcast, and uh, I just wanted to be on it to talk about this book. So I'm very excited. Well, we're excited well, to have chapter. Yeah, yeah. We're excited to have you here. Um, when we were, were, I should say, when I was on your podcast, uh, we talked a little bit about your background with the book, and you said you listened to it first. You weren't really a big fan of Will Wheaton's read through. Is that right? Love hate relationship because I think he actually does a great job in certain sections. He very dramatically reads things and makes it very exciting. But then there's other parts I wasn't so thrilled with. Like, I guess when he does the Artemis parts, I'm like less, and not just Artemis. Actually, also uh, Dido and Shoto, I found that kind of like unnervingly bad for some reason. But um, outside of that, I think he did a very good job. But like I said, I I, I found myself cringing a little bit whenever he, we we got into Artemis um, Parzival territory. Yeah, Chris, you. You you've only your initiation with the book was on audiobook, right? You have right. yet to read a paper copy of this book. That's true. My uh, my my cherry was popped with Will Wheaton on this book, <laughs> as so many ladies out there. <laughs> and uh, you know what? I, I'm kind of with you because when I originally when it first off a friend of was like, you gotta you've got to listen to this book. I had gotten the book in a loot crate. And, you know, I looked at the book and I was like, oh, damn it. They just popped in a piece of literature fluff. Crap. Toss <laughs> that book to the side. So I have the actual book on my shelf, but I just never read it because I thought, you know, it was on a, in a loot crate. I thought, man, I'm more interested in the games and the toys and bullshit. And then some friends of mine were like, you got to read this book. 
So I was like, all right, well, I've got an hour to kill every day driving to and from work. So I'll just, you know, if I see if they've got the audio version. And then I saw Will Wheaton was reading. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> every show I've seen him on, he just has this sort of wine, you know, sort of a Will Wheaton wine. Right. But the Wheaton read, wine. The Wheaton wine. <laughs> the Wheaton wine. <laughs> Uh, but he read the book great and whatever problems I had, I got over by the first chapter. Yeah. And beyond that, um, it didn't bother me at all. Any of the other characters that he kind of played into or that he changed his voice for. And I get it. It's hard to, you know, emulate these other sort of different characters, particularly like female voices. Mm. Uh, It's just Will Wheaton doing a female voice would just kind of awkward. But when he did it, I just didn't even notice it. We're an Asian voice. We're an Asian voice. (laughs) Yeah, to it me that bothered, that bothered me a little more for some reason. I don't know why. Felt whitewashed. Yeah, it did. <laughs> it felt very whitewashed. All right, before we get into that territory, <laughs> no, I, I want to say one last thing about Will Wheaton, uh, guys. <laughs> um, uh, just like you know, despite the the little negative nitpicks I have, I, I still have I have like a wonderful like sense memory connection with his narration because. Uh, I first we first got the book. Uh, we were me and my girlfriend Sonia, who's also the co-host on the X Men Task podcast. Uh, we were in Australia working like on like work permit visas, and uh, we had like these long bus rides too. And I was just listening to the book on these long bus rides to the beach, and just hanging out these like paradise beaches in Sydney. And I'll just always have that like beautiful like like i said sense memory of ready player one and paradise <laughs> so, so the voice of will wheaton to you is is like paradise well, yes uh, it it evoke it, like it's very evocative of a time in my life that was quite like wonderful so um oh just... will you remind me of <laughs> sand and sun it's like your first girlfriend's perfume you know <laughs> you fucking remember it <laughs> you know that shit was on your uh sheets or your sweater or the sweatshirt that she borrowed forever. Will Wheaton's like a perfume on your sheets. I just... I like this. I went too far. I went too far. <laughs> is what happened there. I admitted too much. And now I've got the egg on my face. Why you gotta make this uncomfortable? I don't know. I always do. I'm just glad it's not me. Welcome to get to the good part where we are constantly uncomfortable. All the time. All the time. I am Ryan. I'm the one who makes it uncomfortable. And that's Chris. He's not he wearing a V-neck, but it kind of looks like he is. And I'm, I'm Willie. I'm just <laughs> nervous to be here. <laughs> yeah, and here's Willie. He's just coming in trying to figure out the landscape of this bullshit. <laughs> I, I, I do. I, I empathize. <laughs> That's terrible. So we've, so we've got this killer chapter. Yeah. This killer chapter. Killer and chapter. When you say killer, you really mean killer. <laughs> it's an... It's a chapter that ends with a bang, quite literally. My, People I, I die. This is my, this is my fear. Spoilers. No laughing. Uh, Stop laughing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it just comes down. Uh, it, it's like my favorite chapter. I think this was like that one chapter that the book got got really interesting for me. Well, you and I talked about it. I mean, just the other day. This 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 is my favorite chapter because I feel like as far as the book goes. The dialogue is richest in this chapter uh, versus every other chapter in the book. And it's darker. Like this is I think this is by far the darkest chapter. Yeah. Um, You know, this is the one that actually instilled a real fear for the characters in the book. 
Go ahead, Willie. I have my hot take is this is not my favorite chapter of the book. <laughs> Why not? I don't know. I because I'm I'm annoyed at so much of Wade's decisions in this chapter that I, I'm I kind of like it kind of made me just like uh, like dislike Wade's uh, character a bit in this chapter. But uh, we'll discuss that as we go along. But that's sure. just my general like feeling about chapter fourteen as I've reread it several times before prepping for this uh, a momentous occasion here. Right. All by the end of. <laughs> Go ahead. There you go. Um, yeah. So I mean, um, no. So like, some things rub me the wrong way about this chapter. But um, I, I, you know, I, I'll have a lot to say as we delve deep into the details here. Uh, the chapter begins with Wade materializing at IOI's Oasis headquarters, right? The observation deck, with a stunning view over a dozen Oasis worlds. Now, the first time that I read the book. And I read it, motherfuckers. You did not. <laughs> so I still had the theater of the imagination <laughs> pulsing within my brain. And I saw, I visualized what it would be like to be standing on this observation deck. It's the fucking Enterprise. Am I wrong? Um, I, that that it, is not the ship that came to mind. Yeah, me neither. I was thinking more like a Star Destroyer. Okay. Yeah, something not quite as shapely or I just imagine something very industrial you know, very executive, maybe not Star Wars, uh, mm. Enterprise, you know, not like like Battleship like that, but definitely very executive Battleship bridge. But... So you're, you're just imagining a giant water cooler? In the... <laughs> <laughs> Fucking could be. Yeah, actually, with just more angles, more cracks, more crevices, um, possibly an exhaust port or two. But yeah, something like that. I mean, uh, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, like, I just got the vibe of, like, uh, corporate evil sheen. In space, <laughs> whatever that is, maybe less Star Wars, maybe a little more space balls. <laughs> you know, dark helmet ship or something. Right. I was just thinking like a white version of Red Dwarf. If you've ever seen that ship, it's just fucking ugly and long and deep crevices with a giant engine on the back of it. And well, I'm yeah. glad the conversation went down this route. What I really meant was just the outward view, oh. <laughs> not the Enterprise itself. Just okay. the outward. Oh, just looking down on these different systems and I things see. like that. Or if you want to if you want to tie it back to the book, not that Star Trek is not back to the book, but I imagine Carl's uh, Carl Sagan's uh, Cosmos, the ship of the imagination, where uh, he's just cruising through the universe <laughs> in that fucking that tall thing. And it's the ship of the imagination. But he's looking at, you know, you know, he pulls back. He sees the solar system that he sees just, you know, the amalgam of galaxies out in front of him. And to me, that that's the most exciting thing about this book is like, you know, I mean, here you are. You're a kid in the stacks. You're sitting in basically a, a conversion van at the bottom of trash and you're treated to the greatest view in the entire universe. Yeah, but I love this, that. this is my first disagreement with you, and the, and like and and I'm not and I'm being serious. Like, I feel like he's sitting in that uh, van right in the middle of nowhere, where he's always mindful of the weather. It's either too hot or too cold. I guess it's too cold most of the times because he has that space heater, um, and so the weather sucks. He's eating. He's got like crappy food and probably really you know like gross water because of this like horrible polluted future he lives in. <laughs> and um, and so I just feel like strapping on a visor and seeing 
some simulated environment. Like, I feel like you would constantly, you know, you would, like, probably, like, lift that visor up to scratch your eye or something and just, it would, <laughs> it's like, I wonder, in, in Wade's van, this is the question I had, how immersed is he in the Oasis uh, compared to, well, I can't spoil it, um, but, like, you know, in this, I guess in this chapter, they mention that the, uh, the Sixer people have immersive rigs where they're, the technology is really amazing, how they experience the Oasis. So I just – I wondered, like, that contrast. If you're just some, like, schmo kid like uh, Parzival, you know, in, in, like, a cold, you know, smelly van in a junkyard, like, how immersed you really are and how impressive it all must seem. I've had some video games that were incredibly distracting. I'll be honest with you. Like, uh, when I've played video games like uh, Battlefield, uh, I think it was 2142, which was, you know, the the – the, it had the sort of the mech type of robots and things like that. It was always in a wet, rainy, snowy, sort of a Russian-like atmosphere. When I play games that are like that, it doesn't matter what the environment is around me. It makes me feel cold. And when I'm in games like like some of the original Battlefield games that are sunny or you're in the forest or it's on a desert, I'm very comfortable and I really enjoy those maps because of the environment. I can actually... I don't feel hot, but I definitely feel it kind of gets to me differently, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Like fucking the movie Frozen. I hated Frozen. <laughs> take take <laughs> the that fact movie that too. The, I, like the, the, the songs just killed me. They right, were just yeah. so so horribly candy addictive that I, I just – those. Ugh. but oh, yeah, the entire movie. movie made me cold. Hmm. Uh, like I walked out of there absolutely frigid. I feel like we've had this conversation before because I, I think my my point of reference was Skyrim. You know, when you get up into the mountains and shit, when you get near the College of Winterhold, you just feel cold all the time. It's like your AC works ten times better than it did. Are you guys playing on like seventy inch televisions or something? Is is it you know? I've played Skyrim too. I never, I never, I don't know. Maybe I don't have this mad, this power that you guys have. No, you gotta it's, get closer it, to the screen. It's okay. not a power. It's just that I, I, I don't know what it is. I think it's just like a version, like like a visual set off for me. Mm. But the the thing is, yeah. let's let's depart from the reality that we know and go into Wade's reality. Okay. Okay. The thing is, Wade has spent. All of his formative years in the Oasis, even before his formative years, I mean, since (laughs) since he was a toddler, he's been in the Oasis. Right. So his perception of reality is slightly different from our own. Right. I mean, if you can imagine it, Chris, what is that? What's that called? Like your mind connecting with a virtual reality. There's a there's a word for it. I bet. I can't remember the fucking name. Like disassociation or something? It's something like that. It was something like that, yeah. yeah, I I saw a post on Reddit like today that was talking about it. It, It's it's like an immersion thing. Yeah. You know, that's what they that's what they promised with the Avatar movie. That before the movie came out, I remember reading these articles saying that test audiences it created this uh, like uneasy dissociative effect because the movie was so immersive that they were like you know walking in the world of Avatar, 
And I was like, holy fuck, this movie's going to be amazing. And then, <laughs> and then when I remember seeing it in 3D, I was like, oh, it's just a 3D movie. It's, it's not it's, like I'm – not, I'm not in the world. I, <laughs> I don't know about you guys. I fucking loved that movie. I went four times. Well, really? And that's a long-ass movie. That's like a four-hour movie. So I spent yeah. 16 hours watching Avatar. It was the flying was more real than anything that I had seen, like particularly the flying scenes with the whatever the dragon bird things are uh, <laughs> and the, the battle scene where the missiles came out and they streaked past your head with the smoke trails coming out. I was blown away by how much they incorporated 3D, not as a gimmick, but as a character in the movie. Well, I don't know oh. about you guys, but have you ever heard of an Omnimax theater? Not IMAX, Omnimax. I, I think so. Okay. Maybe. So what it is, is it's a dome theater. It's, it's, it's a complete dome, right? Mm-hmm. And when you're in the dome, you sit in these stadium seats that are almost at a 90-degree angle. I mean, they're very steep. And when you sit yeah. in there, every part of your field of vision, your peripheral, everything, is covered by the screen. I've seen that, yes. So right. when, you, when you enter it, it feels like you're riding a ride. I remember the first one that I saw was the Blue Planet. And the mm. first scene they did was they went from the space station and they had a camera that went all the way down to the Marianas Trench, like all the way to the bottom of the Marianas Trench. And the whole time I'm gripping the sides yeah. of my seats, like, <laughs> just like, <gasps> yeah. like, like I felt like in, in every time you go down a hill, every, they had one called the, uh, the history of roller coasters where you just like basically <laughs> rode roller coasters throughout history. I mean, you mm. feel that feeling in your stomach when you're going down a hill. Yeah. And it's that connection with that disassociation from reality. You're not moving. The seats did not move. But because your mind was perceiving it, it could not tell the difference between what it was seeing and what it was feeling. Okay. And it was it's a very fascinating thing. And I think that's what they're talking about here. You know what's coloring my a negative reaction here? It's hmm. I I have a Google Pixel phone. So I was conned into buying the the Google VR headset that they sell for eighty bucks. That's a like, great oh. con. I was yeah. like, oh, that's a good deal. <laughs> and I got it, and I expected to be like fully immersed. And uh, Ryan, unlike the the theater experience you're talking about, which I had as a kid too, at like the Liberty Science Center in New Jersey, which is Ooh. like this big dome movie theater too, they have. Um, where I remember that very distinctly, like you felt like you're like falling down Mount Everest or something when the camera goes swooping. Um, this Google VR thing is kind of wimpy in a way. Sure. So you've like triggered memories in me of like, yeah, that that thing that I experienced as a kid was like that's like what like real VR probably would feel like. So I, I'm guessing that like, um, you know, in this book. The Oasis is probably more like what you described. Like the screen projected in your mind's eye is probably massive. It's probably right. so massive that you do feel like total immersion. You're not getting well, the goggles. You're just getting just full field of vision. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. And the book, it, the book goes into describing that because it's not – you're not looking at a at – a, at a, at a, you're not looking at a surface. It's painted under it's, your eye. Lasers are painted right, into yeah. your retina, yeah, so it's awesome. actually covering a full range uh, yeah. across the back of your eye. So it looks as if you would get a full range where really it's just painting to the, the furthest recesses of your eyeball, um, which is kind of brilliant because then you don't really have to have a huge spread. You've just got to have that sort of pixel rendition on the back of your eyeball. I love that idea. <clears throat> um, a Soren at Epcot Center is exactly like what you're talking about, Ryan. The difference being is that 
while it is also a curved screen, rather than looking up, when you get in the seats, the seats lift like this. Right. And then you're dangling with with bros above each other and below each other. So every person is right up in this screen that's curved. And then you've got like you're, you're flying. And I really did have that feeling like I was flying, like my feet was dangling over ocean waves. And it was just the coolest thing. Yeah, I think yeah. I've been to that as well. Yeah, that was awesome. But IMAX does that without moving the seats. It's right. just it's it's a complete 360 view as far as you're concerned. Yeah. And it it takes you like there's one where they put you at the front of a uh, like a subway train. And you're just going through the tunnels. And then there's one where you run up and you're you're at the middle of like an escalator. Like you have to go down the middle of it and you're just like I remember being a kid and just being like, "Oh god." Like, you know, I, I didn't get motion sick, but like at the same time, like like every part of my body responded in the way that it would if it were put in that situation. Yep. The coolest thing, though, is the very first thing that they do in the IMAX of all of those different little test shots that they show you to like, you know, calibrate your body to this because it's going to get way more intense. The very first shot that they did when I was a kid was they did that shot in um, – 2001 a space odyssey where you go through that just that that wormhole, that time <laughs> wormhole and you're just like and you come out into cold open space and you're just like oh there's nothing under me and it just fucks with your head yeah you know what i mean and that's yeah. kind of how that's kind of how i'll tie this back into this chapter you it know fucks with it, your head it fucks with my head but here's wade for the first time on the deck of this asshole starship <laughs> looking out on 12 oasis worlds uh you know i mean it's 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 kind of the closest thing to that you know i mean he's this is this is one of those times when you get a full scope of what the oasis looks like pulled back yeah mm. well, the, the multiple planets that are out there the, right what was it c12 planets kind of out in the system there and, and it's neat because they can all be that close because it's not a real world. It doesn't have to be spread out. So you can have 12 worlds within a given view shot. Well, in earlier in the book, he says that they're set up like like the universe is almost like Rubik's Cubes. You right. Know? right. It's but a cube this, universe. Right. And, you know, one of the things that I think is underplayed in this chapter is that this is the first time Wade's seeing it from a pulled back perspective. Oh. This is the mm. first time that he's standing out there and looking at the worlds of the Oasis yeah, I, without it being through like a video camera or something. He's I don't not know. watching the screen cap. He's watching it for the first time. Doesn't he mention in one of his like school classes that he goes on a trip of the solar system and sees Jupiter? And I mean, I know it's not the same as viewing the Oasis, but it, it is like, a, you know, he's had experience looking at being lost in the stars in outer space. Yeah, and I don't know what that looks like. You know, I mean, I I don't know if it's it's kind of the equivalent of the cart they roll in when you're a '90s kid. You know, <laughs> oh, there's the fucking TV on top of the cart. And there's oh look, the, the teacher's bringing in the AV cart today. Right, it's like, yes, someone's hungover. <laughs> yeah. Let's watch a video. No, I, I don't know if it's like that. You know, but this is his first time. Like, I would imagine. In the school, they're showing him, like, the actual solar system. This right. is his first pulled-back view of the Oasis. Okay. You know, I'm reading a little bit ahead, and I realize now why I thought that this thing was kind of like a floating water cooler. That's okay. We need to push forward anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's because third paragraph in, 
he says that he sees a large C-shaped reception desk. Like, this isn't a ship where it has a bridge, per se. It has a reception desk. Like, I can't imagine a starship having a reception desk. Like, like I could imagine, like, you go to, you know, I guess you dock, and then you take the elevator, and you go to the fifth floor. That's where the reception desk is, and that's where marketing is. You, you, you know what I'm talking about? Because yeah. to me, it just felt like a flying office building. Yeah. Because <laughs> it has a fucking reception desk. Well, the- you know, I was like, you see the Enterprise. Was there a reception desk on the Enterprise? Maybe. The Maybe. After you- <laughs> <laughs> well, cl- clear up my confusion here. Don't they at some point say that the whole thing he's on is modeled after the corporate IOI headquarters? But I don't know like that's, what aspect. That's the building on the planet. Oh, okay. So, all right, yeah. But he's not wrong. It's it's sort of modeled after that. Yeah. What the the ship is? The ship is, yeah. Oh, it is? Okay. Well, I mean, it's said that the IOI corporate logo, giant overlapping chrome letters, 20 feet tall, floated above the, the reception desk. <laughs> right. Big That's kind of cool. <laughs> uh, but I could see like a giant IOI kind of connected and floating through space or something. That would be cheesy weird, but interesting. Like It would make me giggle. <laughs> it totally fits their fucking M.O. Just like like a giant star <laughs> yeah. battle where like you know they're taking heavy damage. One of the eyes flies off, damaged and sparking. It's just I O. <laughs> before before we get into that, we we sort of we narrowed down the difference between a chat link and a uh, right. chat room, right? Mm-hmm. There's a difference between H's basement and what he's seeing right here. This what, is more corporate. This is more corporate, but uh, I'll. I'll Harken back to one of our first conversations about H's basement when they say that you go up to the door, the door leads nowhere. You know what I mean? So yeah, you've got scandal. like this right. parameter, right? Well, I feel like a chat room is literally just one room, whereas a chat link can extend beyond one field of vision. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it feels like a chat room is more static. Does that make any sense at all? Oh, yeah. It, it feels like this is like uh, FaceTiming, where sure. he's maybe like you like imagine if your friend's carrying the phone and you're doing your meeting on your phone and then they carry you from room to room. The difference is a standalone environment versus actually going to an environment in the Oasis remotely. Well, see, I, the way that I saw it is like it, I saw the FaceTime thing, too, where if we're FaceTiming, that's a chat room where I can see what's like right now. I can see what's behind you. You can see what's behind me. Mm-hmm. But a chat link would be more like, well, if I pick up this device that I'm seeing it through, I can go 360 throughout the room. And guess what? You can travel to any point in that. Yeah. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. you could go and open the door and interact with items. It kind of reminds me of like the, the, when you die as a Jedi and you're a ghost walking around in the swamp <laughs> with Luke going, sorry, I'm dead. So this is I a hope f- I can help him here. This is a force ghost uh, chat room dead you were like white and bald when it took off the helmet you look really good now (laughs) well speaking of that and i'm glad that you brought that up because it segues perfectly into my next point wade materializes on the bridge of this thing but he doesn't entirely materialize does he he shows up as sort of an apparition right yeah right yeah so he shows up he's he's coming there saying help me obi-wan kenobi you're my only hope (laughs) he's a hologram yeah 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 which is but he can weird. interact. He's interacting hologram. He which can I open doors and sit down or something. Yeah. Yeah. But why? That's what I don't understand about this part of the chapter is why. It's not like you don't have the fidelity to throw him in there like he's a real person. Yeah. Is there a point 
to the chat link showing people who are connecting looking like ghosts. Is there I think, a this is a, I think there's a UI argument to be had here, which is that if you're in a room with people, did they really travel across the Oasis or, or do they live in the same area or are they operating in the ship? Or is this an individual that's in a chat link? I, I think and I know the person the answer. a chat link can just, you know, go back to wherever they came from. And you need a way to distinguish between, quote unquote, real people operating in the Oasis versus individuals that are just visiting through chat link. Right. Really good. Yeah. Uh, Chris, like everything you just said, plus it's dangerous to invite people like for real into your place because Parzival – you know, we know he's a he's a low level uh, wimpazoid, uh, to quote Artemis. Um, <laughs> but like theoretically, he could be a super powerful avatar that could go in there and like murder everyone in the IOI corporate headquarters and set a bomb off and blow it up. Um, That's true. Yeah. As the person who controls the the chat link, you can kick them out. Yeah. You can sever that connection. Um, they have limited restrictions, uh, so you've got way more control. But it does lend all of the interaction capabilities. That an individual would have. Well, maybe not all, but you know, the ability to walk and open doors and shit like that. So the way I see it is, it's just a nice sort of corporate um, chat system. It's very. It has that corporate feeling. Even he mentions that it's expensive. That that having your own chat link right. is is a is a cost above and beyond, and that only big businesses and organizations would have that. Because when you think about what it takes for an individual to travel potentially that distance and how expensive that might be, to have a chat link is basically to like. Say well here I'll we'll place a toll free call and I'll I'll take accept the charges. <laughs> right. I'm, I care about you that much. I'll accept the charges and you're going to be given the red red carpet treatment. Hmm. But does it does he actually travel though? Because it seems like he's in the same place. That's what I mean. Is he doesn't have to. Right. That's the advantage. Is is just you know you accept it and boom you're there. It's like a simulation of a of like almost being there. It's a simulation of a simulation. Right, yeah. It's, exactly. That's what I was trying to say. Inception, man. <laughs> it's very meta. You know, like a nightmare within the nightmare. Can I just say, because it's, it's right around this part of the book, too, uh, strike one to Wade when he discovers that he can't record this chat link session. Um, I think that would be, like, a huge tip tipping off point that something, like, extremely negative is about to happen and that he should maybe quickly rethink, like, why he's even agreeing to do this. If he can't record well, on his end, if he can't be killed, um, and they can't do anything to him per se, his avatar is totally right. safe. Uh, even if he can't record, he's already been in instances where he couldn't record. For example, when he went into the Tomb of Horrors, he couldn't record there. So he's there are places where there are controls put in place, mm-hmm. uh, be it by IOI with the chat link or by Anorak with the with the Tomb of Horrors, where he wasn't able to record. You know, that just seems to be a thing. Like, there are permission areas where you can do shit and can't do shit. I feel like... I the, personally was thinking I, I would have rigged a microphone to my headset. Yeah. I feel like the difference <laughs> here is, like, if if I could troll somebody through text, it's not as gratifying. If I can troll somebody through Twitter, even though it's kind of a similar interface, it's more gratifying because people are going to see it. You know what I mean? Right. So he shows up, and he, he comes there to troll. He's there to, to to lay the smack down on IOI, <laughs> Just, and he can't fucking do it. Yeah, so it's like he's there for his own gratification. Yeah, right. That's my point. Like, what? It's like he can't record it. So it's like, what is he even bothering at this point? His plan is so dumb. I'm sorry, <laughs> it doesn't make well, sense. I uh, think it it makes. Wouldn't you have any sheer curiosity as to what you're up against? No sure, one no. will have seen what he was going to see. Really, what none? they brought him through. I, I totally disagree. 
I, he said that there were tons of people that couldn't even get close to their home hold planet. On, fine. Chris, Willie, go ahead. All right. I'll, okay, I'll say two things to your point, Chris. One, uh, he just won the Copper Key. He's the most famous person in the world, and he cleared the first gate. It, why, like, of all the things to do, why, like, waste half a day or whatever it is, like, visiting, like, the IOI headquarters to hear some pitch that you know you're going to reject and you're only there to, like, insult them or something or to be, like, a jackass in the name of gunterism. It's, like, weird that he cares that much about, you know, the, point. the plight of it's gunters that he, like, needs to make a, a dumb, like, political statement. I mean, you know, but I get he's, like, 17 or something, so he's a little immature. But <laughs> still, it's, like, a waste of his time. Like, he's just done the most miraculous thing in the world. He could literally – he could probably talk to any celebrity on Earth if he wanted to. He could, you know, like, get an audience with any cool person he ever wanted to do. You know, he finally has money to explore the Oasis. Um, it just seems like such a waste of his time to, like, to mess around – you know, to mess around with these IOI people and of, of all the emails he got. And then the second thing, uh, Chris, you, you brought up too, which I find like baffling. I don't even know if this is. Technical. I'm good at that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even Chris know if this baffle well. constantly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know if this is connected to what I was just saying. In fact, it probably isn't. I, I just it just stuck out to me. It's like why? What would the advantage be? Like, let's say you're one of these massive Gunter clans and you hate IOI. Like, what's the advantage of destroying their like dumb virtual like corporate headquarters? In the Oasis. Like, does that get any anyone anything? Well, I don't uh, think that he can. Physically, no, but I, no, yeah, they, they talk did. about, like, the defense grid and stuff that people sure. have tried to attack the uh, the corporate IOI headquarters. But I'm, like, wondering, you know, like, what, like, to what end would anyone, like, care to even do that? Like, what's stuff at the— Stuff in the Oasis has real cost. Yeah. Um, it has real storage of information. It operates like any data center you can imagine. Hmm. Uh, you know, information is self-contained, as as uh, is the further demonstrated uh, many more pages in. So it is possible that when you do damage to a ship, you've lost that ship. Uh, money <laughs> gone. Resource. Yeah gone they've got billions of dollars i mean to them i feel like any cost in the oasis is totally negligible there's no way that even if you're buying the fanciest like you know capital mm. starships and and worlds to host your like business zones that they couldn't just easily you know like how much could that really cost in in surreal estate uh dollars <laughs> it evidently costs a lot but i mean yeah. i don't want to get further down because it, it we they're actually further in the book that question right. is i think better addressed okay. i don't want right. to go enough. down there but uh to quickly address what you said because i think those are all really good points and i yeah. got to think that if i was a gunter right one know thy enemy you you okay. and ioi i mean as we go through this chapter he gets closer than anyone else he says than his research has gotten like he said that there were you know camera views far off of the planet, the main IOI planet, but that nothing as close as what he ends up seeing as far as the tanks, the aircraft, mm. the brigade, brigades of people, the size of the business itself. It is staggering, I believe, is how he puts it. Right. So know your enemy. Two, uh, uh, you know what? He needs to know what his competition is going to be offered. How tempting is this? Who could potentially sell out? If he doesn't humor potentially what the offer is, he's not going to know how mm. tempting the reward is, even if he doesn't care. And we all know he's been, it's not going to he's not going to bite. So but I think thin. third and most importantly is that he is a he is one to banter. He is he is one to challenge intellect. 
And even when we're talking about with his closest friends, it's constantly a competition of knowledge and a competition of there's a lot of uh, uh, braggery or um, chest puffing as far as what they know. So to be able to have said that he went down to the planet, <laughs> stood in front of Nolan Sorrento, number one bad guy. That's right. like, you know, that's like getting an invitation to have dinner with Darth Vader without the fear of being thrown into carbonite. Yeah. You can say you did it. And then you told him to fuck off and there was nothing he could do about it. And at the very least, since he has this deep seated hate. I could imagine it being kind of this, you know, I've been itching to say this shit for like 12 years. Chris, uh, great points. Like I, I, you convinced me on almost everything I had a problem with. But at the same time, the only thing I'll say to that is like if you offered me the opportunity to have a chat link, chat link session with Hitler and <laughs> it's like I wouldn't <laughs> – you wouldn't do that? I, I, it's like to tell him, like, fuck you, Hitler, you motherfucker. Like, I wouldn't care. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. And this is going to be my final point before right, we move yeah. on. <laughs> this, this is the culmination of a shower thought. All right. It's that moment when you're in the fucking shower and you're thinking about the thing you should have said or the thing that you would say when you're going against, <laughs> against somebody that you disagree with. It's a culmination of a shower thought. He's thinking, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to tell this motherfucker what's what. <laughs> you know, I mean, like yeah. he's he's going in there. He's he's feeling like like I cleared the first gate before anybody else did. I am the cock of the walk, baby. I'm <laughs> king shit of fuck mountain. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to tell him what's what. And he's he's it's that bravado yeah. that we yeah. talk about with Wade. It, it comes up several times in the book. He has this sense of bravado. It stops at a certain point. That certain point oftentimes <laughs> happens to be with Artemis. But he has that that sense of bravado. And I think what he's doing now is he's exercising that bravado. He yeah. has permission from himself to go into IOI and basically say, you know, I'm going to walk in there with my default skin in a fuck off attitude. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm going to tell you what's what. <laughs> it's the first time, like, seriously. It's like bottom of the stacks, <laughs> fucking conversion van. He is, he's the bottom of the pecking order right now. But he has an opportunity to walk into. I mean, think about it. It's like saying, like, like <laughs> you're living in a box, but you can walk up to the the president of yeah. Comcast wants you to come in and tell him how to run his business. <laughs> You're going to walk in there and you're going to be like, you know what, man? <laughs> I don't even own a TV. Fuck off. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, he's got that sense of bravado. Like, I don't need you. Like, he has Wait, leverage. They've he come does. To him. So he's he's wielding that leverage, even though exactly. he's nervous the entire time. He's still playing off arrogant and cocky on the outside. He's top of the stack. Top <laughs> of the stacks. <laughs> it's just still, <laughs> just still so still feels like a waste of time to me. I mean, I get it. Yeah, I don't know. I like saying. you'd think everybody else, even the other, even his other friends, said we didn't even open it. Yeah, I mean that seems like way more reasonable. They seem like to have their heads way more screwed on their head straight than Parzival. I think he's thinking from an emotional place, though. Yeah. I agree. He's yeah, he's very emotional. Yeah. He's coming at this, and we've seen this time and time again throughout the book. He's coming at this from a place where 
you know, he's got something to prove. Yeah. He's got something to say. Yeah, he's so poor and he's so like his life has been so lonely and desperate that to him IOI is probably this enemy that is so much means so much more to him. They're not just some abstract like, you know, corporate villain. They he's like so personally invested in his anger with them and everything they represent. So actually I can buy that. Yeah. This is this is kind of that would you go to hell? If the devil wanted to make a deal with you, no, <laughs> just just to hear what the deal was, knowing that you go to hell and say, "Man, eh, this place sucks, and you suck, and kiss my ass, but don't really, because I don't want burnt lip prints on my butt." But <laughs> that's really just taking it too far. But uh, but you get the gist, though, is that yeah. you know, would you? you know, just, to just me, to it's see hell. It's bravado, but I think it almost creeps into bravery because he is kind of going to that place where he's he's really. He's nervous. I'm sure he thinks of it that way. Yeah, he, well, it's very nervous. He definitely thinks of it that way. All right, but either way, he's gone into the lair. He's facing the devil, and the devil's name is Nolan Sorrento, or as IOI knows him, is 655-321. Chris, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Willie. Yeah. Do you know the significance of that number? I think I only know it because I was listening to one of your podcasts where God you damn it. told me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too big of a fan of your show. <laughs> I can't trick you. Well, it's okay. Just, when I found out about it, it blew my fucking mind. And for anybody who's just hopping into the podcast at episode 14, go back and you can hear us make fools of ourselves for weeks at a time but six five five three two one is a significant number because it was the number uh how was i going to phrase that six five five three two one was alex's number or prison number in a clockwork orange right yeah one of my favorite movies one of my favorite books before i read ready player one that says a lot about me that i'm uncomfortable about <laughs> talking about with you guys that's between me and my therapist but Whatever. No, I mean, Clockwork Orange is a masterpiece. It's a disturbing masterpiece, but... It's very disturbing. <laughs> that's one way to put it. Yeah, it's like saying <laughs> the darkest sides of YouTube. That's that's my thing. You know, I mean, it's 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 a very... Crush hard, films. It's yeah, yeah hard, that's odd. Right, yeah. It's a hard book to read. It really is. Mm. Um, it's It's a difficult read, but at the same time, it's a very... It's a, it's a great read. I, I recommend it to anybody out there, but I will tell you this: if you plan on sleeping alone, um, <laughs> good luck, because it is a nightmare fest. Wow! On a uh, psychological level, can I just have a random observation here? Please do. Um, Nolan Sorrento is like a really. I just want to give props to Ernest Klein. That's a really good villain name. It's it's pretty douchey. <laughs> I, no, no offense to any of the people named Nolan or last name Sorrento that might be fans of this podcast. I really apologize, but for the purposes of this piece of literature, Nolan Sorrento really, I was like, oh, fuck that guy. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Nolan. <Immediately. laughs> fuck this dude. <laughs> Such a dick. Yeah. Such a dick. So pompous. It's so pretentious. Yeah. What's your first name? Nolan. <laughs> last name Sorrento. You mean like the cheese? Yeah, no, like, yeah. not Sargento. Yeah. Damn it. It's a combination of, of uh, Chris Nolan and the cheese. <laughs> and I have nothing against Chris Nolan or the cheese, really, but just that combination. Mm, two together. Yeah, some weird, weird negative reaction to me. I feel, so, I feel like it's the same thing as like when you hear the name Dakota. 
You know, like, yeah. like it, whether it's a guy or a girl, like he's like it's like Dakota. Okay. Again, all all Dakota fans of this podcast, we love you. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> if your name is Dakota and you're listening to the podcast, you're the exception. It's a great but name. If your name's Indiana and you're named after the fucking dog, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> A fucking state and a dog. Just turn the shit off right now. Uh... <laughs> well, I mean, I was in Indiana once. The pizza is terrible. It is. Well, where where were you at? Oh, I don't know. I was my sister. You know, I'm from New York City, New Jersey area. My sister went to the University of Iowa of all random places to go. Okay. And so we had, you know, and she was six years older than me. So when I was twelve, we um. We had many cross-country trips to Iowa back and forth, and we'd always just stop off somewhere in random bumfuck Indiana, and we'd order pizza because we're from New York. <laughs> right. <laughs> just to make... And we would just, just talk about this... how bad it is. <laughs> but just to make yourself thing. feel better? I don't know. I don't know what, what our I want to stop was. someplace that's got ugly people because... <laughs> well, I'm not going to say the people are ugly, but, you know, the pizza. Look at these ugly motherfuckers. I am so on. much more handsome than these guys. Time out. Time out. I'm from Indiana. Northwest Indiana, right outside of Chicago. And I will say, Willie, yeah. the people are fucking ugly. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to say it. That's not what I meant. Not I meant, like, go someplace to make yourself a place that is lower expectation. Like, it fulfills your lowered expectations. Like this That's like you go to the fat people <laughs> just to make yourself feel thin. And then bitch about the fat people. Like, it, And it's a nude beach on top of that. So you can't you – know, it's like I said, nothing against, we'll make fun of them. nothing against the people of Indiana, just bad pizza. That's all I'm saying. Do not hate me. <laughs> you guys are taking much harder lines against random people than I am. <laughs> hey, I'm one of those people. I grew right. up. That, that's fair. You have, you have the right to. Yeah, I've got the right. I'll, I'll take the dig. Hey, right. guys, Indiana, if you're listening, <laughs> throw it all back at me. I'm not saying that <laughs> Indiana people are ugly. Fun. X-Men TAS podcast. We'll, listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> we'll edit that out. <laughs> so I've got a question for you, Ryan. Okay. When you read this, because I heard it, so I got to hear it in a voice. When I've been reading this on Kindle, uh, I actually have a different voice in mind. So when you read this, what was the voice you heard for Sorrento? Good question. Um, fuck off. <laughs> I kind of... Now you got I me googling this actor. I didn't. Ben Mendelsohn. Really? The no. Actor. Oh. Yeah. But was Ben Mendelsohn like who you heard? No, Ben Mendelsohn is the one that plays Sorrento in the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. But no, I. I don't know what I thought of. I mean, like, it's hard to describe what you think of when you read. You know what I mean? But. I, I will admit this. I had somebody with a, a Hispanic dialect in mind just because of the really? name Sorrento. Yeah. Ah, okay. That's interesting. So the name kind of guided your interpretation of the voice. It did a little bit, yeah. When I came back to reread it, I was thinking Agent Smith. Mr. Anderson. Like, like, like yeah. <laughs> We're going to do this again. Ghost of Freedom. <laughs> Mr. Barzival. Welcome to Innovative Online wow. Industries. The famous Parsival <laughs> has graced us with his presence. <laughs> can, you can hear that, right? Nolan Sorrento, Chief of Operations. It's an it's honor to, to meet, meet you. you. <laughs> what a fucking asshole. 
God, when you say it like that, I hate him even more. <laughs> I mean, I could imagine so now- Hugo Weaving doing this part. It would be awesome. It would be the perfect reference. It would it would connect. But I think Ben Mendelsohn will do a better job. I'm sure he will. I'm, I'm you know, it's, so for me, that's more candy than reality. But still, just when I read this now, I'm just I'm just imagining, you know, his Agent Smith voice. I and imagine, now you will. T- I imagine someone a little more uh, like less stiff, actually, like a, a California, like laid back guy with a real smirky, like Wall Street attitude. I don't know. I'm not sure what actor that would describe, but uh, you just described Steve Jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <man. laughs> That's who I pictured when you were doing that. Now, who's the guy? The actor? You ever see the Pirates of Silicon Valley? The actor that played Steve Jobs in that movie, maybe. That. <laughs> oh, oh, who was it? Oh, who my God. the fuck played All him? Right, let me look. It, it up. was um. God damn it! I can just Google this. Thanks, Google. Because it was. Michael C. Hall played uh, played Bill Gates. Right. Um, I got it in a second. Is uh, Noah Weil? Noah Wiley. Yeah, Wiley. Is that a, yeah? Right. Yeah, right. the guy who was on ER. Right. Yes, the guy who he, he his character affectation was that he would eat candy all the time because he was diabetic. Because that's <laughs> what you do when you're fucking diabetic is just chug candy all the time. It it depends on what kind of diabetic you are. Yeah, right, but. Some people got to have like an emergency stash of jelly beans. I, know, I get that, but I feel like no diabetic was eating candy as often. Oh wait, no, <laughs> I'm sorry. Let me rephrase, Chris. This will connect back to something you've referenced on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. That affectation, the eating candy while you're diabetic, was something that Noah Wiley used in Donnie Darko. Hmm, I didn't know that, but okay, cool. Remember, he's always popping candy. Like every scene you see him and he's popping a piece of candy in his mouth. No, I didn't realize yeah. that, but okay. Yeah. That's interesting. I apologize. It was not – was he on ER? <laughs> I don't he know. He was on ER. I think he was. He yeah. was on it. Yes, he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but he was, in, he was in Donnie Darko. He's a yep. pivotal character in Donnie Darko. He yeah, he was great. one of the teachers. Yeah, the science teacher. I only saw that movie yeah. once. I have so little memory outside of the song that's from the movie. It's a good movie. I've seen it at least five times. Wow. I really enjoy it. Of all the movies that have like <laughs> its own sort of view on time and time travel, and I'm kind of picky about how people fuck with time travel because it's <laughs> it's a bit like magic. Like if if you if you prescribe to like a particular thought, then some shit can happen and some exceptions can happen. And if you don't work that in right, it just it kind of ruins it for me. But this had a whole different spin that I really enjoyed. They did it very close to perfectly. Yeah, I would say. Was, and they had this very, probably if not the first film, one of the first ones to do this real world thing. Like they had a website where they had articles about uh, the teacher retiring and right. then about weird things happening in the neighborhood. You could click on links and there was a whole deeper It was story. like an ARG. Yes, exactly like an ARG. And I actually searched back. Uh, uh, through the Wayback Machine to find the website and the pages. And it's like really 1990s looking. It was just right. trippy. Mm. But uh, now, that I, now that I hear you talk about like sort of creepy businessmen, I was thinking uh, I could I can imagine like a Christian Bale American psycho. Yes, I was going to say him too. Absolutely. But blonde haired. But blonde haired, sure. <laughs> I was thinking thought, great. Well, hold blonde, on. Why not? Sorrento is blonde haired? I think he's any blonde hair. Do you Does want he him say to? that? 
I'm I I feel like I just I remember that detail from rereading it recently, but I could be wrong. I I don't remember. I do not recall that. I feel like he's a Nazi, but (laughs) well, I mean, you know, let's not say all blonde-haired people are Nazis. Listeners with blonde hair. (laughs) I'm just gonna try. uh, uh, I'm gonna keep trying to preserve your audience. You heard it here first. (laughs) Willie Simpson thinks everyone with blonde hair is Nazi. (laughs) Right here, blonde hair. Blonde hair. (laughs) It says he has blonde hair, brown eyes, and a hawkish nose. Really? Oh man, I, I I remember the hawkish nose, but the blonde hair blew right past me. I that blew past me too. And it Damn. says he's wearing his. Uh, can we talk about his uh, his navy blue bodysuit with the gold epaulets? Please do. And okay, Sex. so I don't really care about his outfit, but tell me generally what you guys think about the idea that IOI mandated that all their like sixer goons wear uniforms. I well, they're all the same person. They're all the same avatar. Yeah, but like, except for his, you know, this like I love this book so much. Let me get that straight to the audience. I'm not here to <laughs> nitpick it and, t- and say it's bad. But or one I thing that the shit out of this, <laughs> I just want to say <laughs> one thing that stuck out to me from a writing perspective, like it would have made so much more sense that you couldn't tell if someone was a six or spy, um, you know, like like or the concept that someone could be working for the Sixers and you wouldn't know it. But, you know, um, without spoiling anything, like, it's pretty safe to say that, uh, you know, everyone that works for IOI in the Oasis is wearing a uniform and they're easily identifiable. And it just felt like a little bit of a missed opportunity. And, like, that even Sorrento has his own uniform as well, you know? Like, well, what do you I guys think, think about that? I think he was trying to build them up to be kind of a Gestapo yeah. of the Oasis. You know, I mean, like, he was trying to, you know... The thing that comes to mind, and I know you're going to kind of snicker at this, but you remember that commercial that Apple did yeah. uh, back in the, the early one? Yeah. Yeah. Where everybody <laughs> like shows up in the con- in, in, in like the stadium kind of area and they're I all snicker. dressed the same. The giant screen. Yeah. You must all do the same thing. And, and, they're, all, and they're all skinheads in real life, which was weird. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's from the, 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 the Apple movie. <laughs> Oh that. that Steve Jobs hired uh, – well, I don't know if Steve Jobs personally hired, but his casting director hired skinheads to be the extras for some reason. Okay. It feels like it would just be easier to just hire a bunch of extras and shave their heads. Well, I mean <laughs> – you think With skinheads and ask them not to. <laughs> Who knows? Regardless, I'm going to cut that part out. Uh, no, I, I, I like Ryan. I like your um. I like your explanation better that it, they they're like this Gestapo force in the Oasis, and you you almost kind of fear them when you see them. And right. I, I, I that that is kind of terrifying. I, you know that didn't come across to me in the reading, but the, my stupid explanation as to why IOI all makes them wear the same uniform was free advertising. Sure. <laughs> well, well, all right. Like uh, the the way I got like like there's there's strength in numbers. That's you know yeah. a common adage. But I think that they wanted a show of force within the Oasis. I think their message in dressing everybody the same is that this is a force that you can't stop no matter what you do. Or so we're going to find the key first. Yeah. You know, because we have the, that strength in numbers. We, you know, we are a force to be reckoned with. And, and it's, you know, as much as the Gunters want to say, like, yeah, we kill every we kill every sucks or we come across they still there's still every time they're referenced there's still an element of fear 
associated with them or or but very no, small one they could be it they could be a hopeful symbol to people because it to be a sixer uh, as parzival wade explains is to get a job with benefits and you know like a stable salary or something so it's it's in a way it's like people could be inspired it's like yeah maybe i should join the sixers i live in a rat hole you know irradiated uh city somewhere and so you saw them more as a cult than a company well i'm not sure i i mean I, i'm just i'm trying to i just i'm trying to understand ioi's like thinking on the the, the uniforming of their agents i think it's i think it's a blend of both right. i think they're part cult part company yeah yeah you know right, I mean? yeah I oh i see you mean cult in like the way where people are into the cult exactly not... <laughs> where they're like hey come in here yeah, yeah you know bring your talents here you can you can participate with us and we will we will find the key together, and together we will share the spoils. You know, we know the way. And the Gunters are just kind of like saying, no, fuck that. They want to ruin the world. And it's just this sort of like, you know, this fight. But regardless, IOI is both corporate and cult. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which I feel like today. That's true of many tech companies. Ex- of a lot of corporations. Right, yeah. You know, I mean, when you look at leadership structure, you look at the way of inspiring people, it's like, you know, read any any leadership book about how to bring a company on board. They incorporate both parts of IOI, keep an eye on profit, but at the same time, inspire your people. And I feel like IOI like really is kind of a satire of that. Yes. They're both sides. They're the cultish <laughs> side of leadership. But they're the corporate side of leadership. Yeah, you know, I've always you know, I, it's the mask on and the mask off. When I've uh, when I read through the book, I I just felt like it was like the saddest of sad cubicle farms. Like for me, it wasn't like the tech companies that were producing a cult. To me, it was the tech companies of the '90s and maybe even the Mad Men of the '50s and '60s, where it was just you know you're at your desk you're slaving away you're expected to perform this is what you'll do very military-esque very uniform uh like very gray like it was just the cubicle farm it was like the green and i'll reference the matrix again it was sort of that green drizzy drizzly dismal uh environment of everybody must adhere to be the same in order to be considered equal but in regards to the the everyone in IOI as far as their avatars looking identical. I think the advantage is twofold. First, uh, any person who is driving an avatar can switch seats. This is not like Parzival, who's in his van, connects to his console that's connected to his account. And literally his environment that he is within is also a part of his avatar. I mean, there's a there's a full connectivity. But when they talk about it in the chapter, there's no connectivity. Anybody can swap into any person. This is like driving the company van or a company fleet of vans. Any person can immediately switch seats and and take over. So there is no personalization to the avatars. Plus, when you kill one, another one pops up in its place. They all look the same. So there's this sort of uniformity. Um but I think the other thing is, and as they mentioned here as they're walking through the hallways, that you know they stand and salute Sorrento, and Sorrento's just like, meh, doesn't even acknowledge their <laughs> existence. Yeah. To me, and he his avatar looks like him. To me, that's somebody that says, these guys are expendable. 
fuck them. This is like the attitude of the business as a whole, that only the executives matter and everyone else is a no-faced, no-name peon with a specialization that can be replaced in a snap. Can I, can I say to that, though, that I agree and that's an evil attitude to have, but they are in the Oasis, so um, it's not like uh, they're expendable, in the, but they're not. he's not like killing his coworkers, necess- you know what I mean? Like you know, know if that. you if you die as an avatar, you know you right. it's not a big deal. So he's not like he's not he's not like a real general of a real army that is just like any and a real evil general that just thinks his troops are all cannon fodder. <laughs> so points for Sorrento. I guess. Well, I don't I, mean, know, I don't know why he I made a point of care uh, who the hell they are because right, yeah. they're they all look the same. They, they yeah. kind of cannon like... fodder is a very special phrase around this podcast. Oh, I see. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, I appreciate that. Old gamer tag. Oh, cool. All right. <laughs> I I'm that so glad way. someone else recognized that. That's great. I'm on the show, Chris. So. <laughs> oh, I see. Well, I meant I meant that someone else outside of the show would remember the term cannon fodder. Uh, there was a two. There was a Blues Brothers 2000 quote that I thought was interesting, which was when <laughs> when wow. they. Wow. Hey Deep guys, cut. hold on. Time out. I want to. I just want to. I want to freeze this moment in time. I think this is the first time anybody in a podcast has ever referenced <laughs> Blues Brothers 2000. Chris, that's, go ahead. What? Wait, no, that's that not was true. a great I, movie. I, I enjoyed got my own that. Blues Brothers 2000 podcast where I analyze it minute by minute. You're fucking lying. No, yes, I am. Serious? <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's not nice. That's All right, go on. I want to hear this no, quote. Go on, go on about the, the only thing that Jim Belushi did that anybody ever cared about. All right, so Mighty Max there, he says, the suit's real neat, but do I have to wear the hat? And, and Elwood Blues comes back, he says, these are unsophisticated men. They only respond to fear and draw of lucre. If we elicit this by using iconographic symbols and psychological intimidation, the way we look together present a uniform image of strength and organization. Don't say anything. Look mean, no smiling. Hmm. So he's Hitler. That's what you're saying. No. It, it's, it's, a, it's uniformity, strength through uniformity. And part of uniformity is looking the same yeah it doesn't have to be it, not everything has to be the nazis and hitler i mean the the beatles uh employed <laughs> they wore the same outfits <laughs> they did you know Mick no, not hitler beatles yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. strength strength comes with everybody looking the same is what you said uh, intimidation through the, an appearance of organization like they've got their shit together kind of reflects back onto fuck i don't have my shit together Right. You know, yeah. if they appear more organized, maybe they are more organized. So there is that there's like a marketing perception. Yeah, and a strong Hitler vibe from that. <laughs> I don't know why. It's well, kinda am. There's much Nazism in those Blues Brothers movies. That's a big it really that's, a, is. that's an element to the story. There's there's even Nazis referenced. There are Nazis the in Blues Brothers. Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> and one of and them is exactly Jeff Sessions. I, I just have to say the leader of the Nazi party. In the first Blues Brothers movie, looks exactly like Jeff Sessing. He right. was. So uh, we got a lot of dialogue here, guys. Yeah. How much do you want to dive into the dialogue? Do oh, you guys I... have any yeah, let's particular do notes? Please, I do. I have plenty of notes. Bring them. All right. Well, I mean, so okay. So they're talking. So Sorrento's laying his pitch to Wade, and Wade is being very, um, you know, he's trying to be as aloof as possible. And and part of Sorrento's pitch is that he's saying it's like. Oh, you're gonna have all the resources of IOI, and 
and uh, it, it's it's better than you thought because and like Ryan, you alluded to, he's basically saying we figured out a way to cheat. Um, and so my, I, I, you know, to nitpick again, <laughs> um, I distinctly remember James Halliday in his contest video, like unleashing this endless like terms of agreement contract mm-hmm. that is like almost illegible. Uh, is that the right word? Um, it's unreadable at a certain point because the, the print is so microscopic and it goes on for like a Charlie the chocolate. Yeah, factory it goes on. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly. Half a fucking document and it just gets smaller right. and smaller. Right. That had to be a reference to that. But um, uh, yeah, so it's like I feel like somewhere Halliday would have included something like it's been so explicit against cheating. Um, and also, like, couldn't if you also just included the fact like, hey, like, I don't want IOI to win my money in my company. He could have thrown that line in there as well. Like, I'm surprised that that's not in his endless terms of service agreement. Here's the thing. No family I, and friends, no IOI. Here's the thing. I don't know that IOI existed when Halliday oh. was still alive. Wow. Oh, they had to. I disagree with that analysis. I, you know, the minute you, the minute <laughs> you say what? that. They, they seem to be the company that controls, like, the entire, like, cable system of the world. The, all the, like, the telecommunications um unless there's like some massive merger if that's what you're alluding to if like at&t and sprint and verizon all merged into ioi after the contest was formed, i could see that maybe well maybe well, that's maybe yeah. that's necessary but i mean we're five years into the contest at this point my point is i mean ioi is not really referenced in the prelude or the, the prologue chapter right yeah they're not really which there was up. a long contract of a sorts, more of a will than anything else, but a contract nonetheless. Right. And they don't really put any safeguards against somebody like IOI. You feel like if, <coughs> if Suxors existed or anything like Suxors, he would put that in there. Yeah. But I feel like the Oasis really blew up after he put that stipulation in his will, where he said you know, if if you do, you know, if, if you find this egg, you you win my fortune, two hundred and forty nine billion dollars or whatever it is. No, you know I disagree. I, mean? I, I the the Oasis had to have been like insanely world dominatingly popular before the contest. Well, it wasn't, but the, I mean, it was, but the contest really triggered people to come together. And I think right. the the main problem here is is that first off true gunter organizations that really came together on a professional level to bring together resources in order to hunt for the egg is not much different than ioi i mean ioi takes it to a corporate level but that's still and he does make a mention here hey look uh, we're not that much different than gun a gunter organization or gunter clan and in truth if a gunter clan split ownership that clan would probably become the next IOI. Well, yeah. they'd find a new way to control it and monetize it potentially. So, frankly, the Gunter clans <laughs> might also have a similar it might might pose a similar danger to it, not so much as IOI because IOI I is like I would make a counterpoint to uh to Willie's point. Not I mean along with Willie's point, really. Uh which is that IOI might be responsible for the downfall of humanity in an opposite way of what the Oasis was. You know what I mean? Like, they're just a corporate entity chugging along. Right. You know, trying, you know, making money in this post-apocalyptic kind of thing, or pre-apocalyptic, really. I mean, 
the Oasis is sort of like a salve to the apocalypse. <laughs> but what was the, you know, we, we've gotten to this, this discussion before. Was the Oasis, you know, the trigger for what will be the apocalypse or was it, you know, humanity? And is IOI, this goes back to the weird chapter since John's not here, we can talk about it. <laughs> is IOI the cure or are they the cause? I feel uh, like they're because they're in conflict with one another, you know, I mean, in certain ways, Iowa is trying to create like a normalcy within right. the world, you know, by saying like, you know, there is a corporation that's in charge. There is a way that you're going to get power. There is a way that you're going to get the Internet. There is a way that you're going to be able to access the Oasis. We're going to do it, but you have to pay for it because we can't continue to float you people. But at the same well, time. GSS is like, no, we, we've got a system built in for that. But GSS, yeah, GSS already has a system for floating. They, that's, it's their economy is stronger than real economies. And in order to go anywhere, you've got to pay for shit. So they have like, it's one of those free to play, but pay when, once you get in I get the, kind of situations. I get the effect, but I'm talking like pre that, like well, I, and then to say that, well, we're going to go in and we're just going to charge a monthly fee. And, you know, to somebody like Parsible, this is a this would be a killer for anybody who can't afford. That's a lot of people who couldn't afford it. It turns into a, an yeah. elite uh, uh, extravagance rather okay. than something everyone has access to. Not to cut you off, Chris, I just have a lot of thoughts about the monthly fee. <laughs> but I, 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 continue, though. No, no, go well, ahead. I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm going to moderate just in the middle of this discussion right here. Okay. <laughs> I feel like the next part of the conversation, right, this yeah. biggest part of my notes, is net neutrality. Okay. Mm. Is that is that no, where you guys no, were going? No, I wasn't going there. Okay, well then go where you're going. Um, it's not that big of a point, but you know, so part of Sorrento's pitch is that you know once IOI takes over the Oasis, they're going to charge a monthly fee. They're going to streamline the experience. They're going to have like filters of content. Um, so my More first advertising. my first thought was like. My first question really is, what do you guys think the size of GSS is compared to IOI? It seems that GSS probably must have to rival IOI in terms of a corporate uh, titan. I think it world. trumps it. Right, yeah, and probably even trumps it. So, and it, and they seem to be doing well for themselves. So this idea that like there's this need to monetize the Oasis seems it, – it's almost like – if GSS is successfully running this company and they're better than IOI, why does IOI think that a monthly fee is a better way to run the place? Um, and second, I'd have to say, and this is my main point, is that the Oasis is already fucking expensive as it is. Uh, you know, from Wade's description, he's just stranded on Ludus for like 99% of his life um, that he's on the Oasis. He can't go anywhere. He can't afford anything. He can't buy a spaceship to travel places. He couldn't afford the fuel. He wouldn't be able to buy weapons. You know, he like, I mean, it's just like, he can't teleport anywhere. Like it doesn't seem like it's already seems like the Oasis is extremely cost prohibitive to, to millions of people that who might have access to it. They can't do anything in it anyway. And I find like, I like it to me. It, a monthly fee, a fee in the in a state of a world where the world's in complete freefall and infrastructure chaos, and you know other you know there's cities have been like nuked. <laughs> it's like I don't know like how much money you could squeeze out of uh, of, of a world like that. So so the gist here was what you're saying is that it's already limiting 
uh, yeah. and any more limiting is like trying to squeeze blood out of a stone. Yeah. Uh, but the one thing that the the Oasis does provide is a very very good free education, and the ability to have access to an enormous amount of information and entertainment and and uh, just a wealth of stuff. I mean, there's tons of people in this period of time. Obviously, they're they're poor based on how the book portrays it. Right. And but what they do have is they have access to goggles and a computer and and the internet and that for you to go to school you've got free access to that unless you get really crappy grades so to have that uh is is incredibly empowering it means that the poorest of your people uh, still have access to some of the best education now if you are going to go and take over a company from a corporate perspective if there's a shortcut for a smaller company to gobble and control a bigger company, that makes sense. You know, and if IOI could do that, that's like a shortcut to dominating another company. Like if there was if there was something in, in Google that was kind of like if a person can do this special thing, they get all of Google. And yeah. you know, if you were the guy that could do it, you would get all of Google. No questions asked, you would own Google. And now it's up to you to, to continue to monetize it as you want. And you're like, screw it. We're going to put up advertisments, a lot more advertisements, and we're going to dick with the search engine system, and we're going to charge people. Yeah, yeah I'll make Google a subscription system. And that's it. I almost think that if IOI took over, it would be so bad, it would cause a massive revolution <laughs> that maybe the world needs. Right. That's funny. You know, that if it became elitist, like if you had to pay a subscription to be in, your your massive amount of people that just cannot afford it could no longer go to work. Well, like I said, I'm just imagining a, a scenario where there's just so many people that already just can't afford the Oasis in any meaningful way. Um, and it, it just seems, I don't know, the way Wade's always talking about the, the expense of doing anything there, that it's already, it is, it's a pay as you play experience and, and, um, well, I think that's true about some parts of it, right. but other parts are no kill. Other parts are kind of mallish. Other parts, there's a huge economy going on, and I don't mean like an economy where people are buying like really expensive swords. I mean there are people who are doing customer support. There are people who are working at strip clubs. Like <laughs> yes. there, there are full-on VR right. businesses and locations that obviously people aren't getting killed in. But these are not places that are attractive to him. That's like the I work see. planet, I see. Yeah. you know. Right. Yeah. So planets. I think like there is a, a a large number of places where there would be p potential for business, um, and that's where the money part would come in. Like if you're making money in the Oasis, yeah, it used to be free. Now it's going to cost you to come in and make money. <laughs> Speaking of making money. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to push us forward a little bit. Yes, right. please. <laughs> Do. I'm sorry. Yeah, please. Speaking of making money, uh, basically at this point in the chapter, Nolan Sorrento courts Parzival kind of the way that you'd suspect he would uh, in this scenario. When, when you saw the initial invite, you kind of expected Nolan was going to come in there with, with a scheme or something like that. IOI had a hand to play. Um, and he comes into this conversation. He's got three, three offers. Is it three offers? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The first is, I would say, paltry. What do you think? Yes. Well, let's go over what that first offer was. Okay. So that first offer was, uh, was it 25 million? If you win. If you, if you found the egg. Yeah. 
and then what was it two and a half million dollar a year salary okay and like you know dental benefits (laughs) yeah and all all kinds of benefits and he's the chief oologist he's he's you know the cock of the walk the first question is what is the rate of inflation 30 years from now that (laughs) (laughs) we've we've tried to crack that fucking nut oh yeah and it's just it always ends up in a bitcoin conversation (laughs) (laughs) but but really i mean this first one no matter what the rate of inflation it probably pales in comparison to what sorrento's being paid it definitely if you want to if you want to put it on scale what is the amount that he could win if he did it on his own? Two hundred forty-nine billion yeah. fucking dollars. He could ask for one percent of that and be a billionaire. That's what he should have done. Twenty-five million. Is that one percent? No, that's no, no not <laughs> that's even close. It's a fraction of a fraction, unfortunately. How much? <laughs> but it's a, it's a good deal for IOI. What percentage is twenty-five million of two hundred forty-nine billion? It's like point oh oh something one one percent would be 2.5 billion 2.59 billion so what that's one percent so it would be like a probably a tenth of that maybe a tenth of five dollars and some change tree fitty tree fitty (laughs) (laughs) two dollars i just like i hate this is why this part of this chapter rubs me the wrong way is because when wade he negotiates back at sorrento he's like i want 50 million when i find the egg yeah. It's like, dude, ask for a billion dollars. Like, what's the difference at that point? You know? I want two piles of shit <laughs> for your good, sir. I, uh, you know, I, I, when I read this, it was kind of like you're going to have control over five thousand units. Uh, you'll be right under me. They will be reporting to you. You're going to get two ha- two and a half million dollars a year and twenty five million when you find the egg, and you're just going to be a consultant. I mean, you know, like you'll work here, but you're just going to be a consultant. So it means you're not necessarily – He's he's the head of the oology department. Well, yeah, but he, he specifically says that – he says, so I'll just cut to the chase. IOI wants to recruit you as a consultant to assist with our search for Halliday's Easter egg. Right, okay. So this is a very executive consultant position. Right, right. But as soon as they find it, his shit would be cut loose. That's why he would get like a $25 Easter egg uh, – what is it called? A – a parachute egg or a golden egg or something. Golden parachute. Golden parachute. Golden parachute. <laughs> uh, but it gets, you know, $25 million. And I saw that and I was like, I don't know that I hate any business enough not to take that deal. Well, first of all, he has to find the egg, which isn't a guarantee. So Does he? Yeah, it says that he only gets to $25 million if he finds the egg. Yeah, but he could squeeze that. What if – okay, fine, but like if they look for the egg for the next 10 years – but I mean, There's... Sorrento says the contest could end tomorrow. That's why he needs to decide right now. Um, but it might not. They've been at yeah. it for five years. It might stop at the first. He we could go like, in could... any number of directions I... on that. Though you could say he could yes, fucking so... stall on that. Yeah. Like, we're all close, man. We're so close. I can feel it. What no, if an asteroid hit the world and it fucking destroyed most of the IOI headquarters? <laughs> and technically. You know, the contest doesn't end for another 15 years. I just think IOI is dumb and Wade is dumb. Like, like, IOI should have offered Wade this. He's like, listen, we're going to make you this, like, celebrity, like, leader of our company where you're – we're going to pitch you as the hero of the Oasis. 
where we're going to, you know, we'll pay you millions and millions of dollars behind the scenes. You're going to be leading the exciting adventure to find Halliday's egg, you know, and we're going to make movies about you and you're going to be in commercial. You know, like they could have like like sold him on being a star or something. Instead, they pitch him like this crappy like office job. Well, hold on a second, though. Time out. You're already a star. Like, but that, he's I, giving that up right away to to work for I. He'd be giving that up immediately. I, I think that would be. I, I think that would be right condescending. That would be insulting. Like it's kind of like he's already a, a quite literally as being put by by uh, by age a god. He already is a god. That's like why, if he wanted that, all that, he could I, totally have it. I totally agree, and that's why part of why I think their offer is really stupid too. They're like horribly misreading the situation. Um, and and I and I already expressed why I thought Wade is kind of dumb for even like going to this meeting. Oh, so yeah. I, I just <laughs> so I mean that's just my like opinion. On, like I just find it like ridiculous. Like this back and forth negotiation. I know it's all in jest that Wade is just there to to try to troll them, and that IOI already suspects that he's you know not going to play ball. But you know I love what? that he puts him in the pinch. You know what? What hmm. you guys should do a podcast together. <laughs> you can see it, <laughs> Ryan. What do you think? Yeah, I'm sorry, Ryan. <laughs> I'm getting all charged up here. No, it's great, man. My it's... fucking ass would be like, uh, actually, I like that deal. But tell me what else you got going on. Like, no, I mean, like, for, here's the thing. For me, you're dealing with a kid who has been in, completely impoverished for most of his life. You know, I mean, like when yeah. he got twenty thousand dollars out of the the tomb he said this is more money than i've ever seen you know what i mean yeah this guy is offering him 25 million to close plus bonuses throughout it's i don't care who and power fuck you are i don't care who you are that has got to be tempting Mm. yes and (laughs) and and deal number two yeah Mm. all you have to do is show us where the gate is walk through Right up to the second gate. That's all you got to do. And even Wade says he may or may not figure it out from there. They right. may or may not have a good jazz player. Who knows? I could watch. Like, this is his moment of almost of near collapse where he says, well, I might take that. I, you know, if I were smarter, I probably would have taken that because it's it's kind of in their hands at that point. Yeah. I mean. Like, You're handing off knowledge first that was, you know they're going to figure out. The first one was bullshit. The second one was probably kind of tempting. Yes, I agree. The second one is definitely tempting. It's anonymous. It's a lot of cash. Everyone will be on the same playing ground when it's all said and done. Yeah. Exactly. And the ca- the added caveat, you're not the only one on the fucking board anymore. Yeah. So this could have come from any one of them. They can't yep. pinpoint it on you. you know, At this point, yeah. they can't pinpoint it on you. Can I say to this too that I I find it hard to believe, um, and this is and like I said, I love this book. <laughs> uh, Maybe I think you're beautiful, but uh, ooh, boy, that dress makes you look you know, fat. Is that where we're going with this? No, butterface. Sorrento. Butterface. Yeah. Sorrento describes, you know, a relentless corporation that has like experts working round the clock to try to crack these clues. So I, I find it I really do find it hard to believe that IOI hasn't figured out the first um key and gate gate yet. Uh that um like kind of like stuns me that they just I don't know, like that 
I just feel that it, it you know, because I'm sure they've hired like incredibly gifted cryptologists and other like analytical geniuses that they pay millions of dollars to figure out, you know, what, uh, you know, what the secret of Halliday's treasures are. And like to me that like it just re- I, I just I, I, I found it hard to believe that IOI can't do this on their own. And what do you guys think about that? Chris, well, I'm sure you have an opinion. I always have an opinion, dude. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> Uh, I feel like we we kind of hit this in a couple of chapters uh, because once we got to the chapter about being in school and the word ludus to right. be not just not just a place of education or learning, but learning being like a game. Right. That I, I don't remember what guest we had on here, but someone had mentioned how it was unbelievable that that with all the resources yes. that IOI had not figured such a simple clue I agree. out that it was that, you know, even given how much the book didn't really focus on it until that point, it'd be kind of like, well, if, if we had had that, I guess, information that was even potentially a thing, then we would have figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but I think one of the things we settled on was the idea that it's not about having experts with niche focuses. Like you got Bob, who is an expert in movies for the year 1982. Right. And then Tony over there, that's an expert in video games from A to B. You have to be widespread mm. to connect the things together. You have to be a renaissance man of that era in order to bring the pieces together to finally bring you to that place where you know what the answer is. And that's not something IOI has. They boast about having tons of niche experts. Right. But with Nolan Sorrento being the guy that brings the strings together, he's not the strong guy. He's not, he's, 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 he's the movie star, if you will. Uh, you know, really high up on having done video games and stuff. And now they've brought him into this company. He's the, he's the ice man. That's a great example. (laughs) Uh, really cocky and arrogant, but he does not have through that due, due to that arrogance doesn't have the widespread knowledge doesn't figures. Well, fuck it. I don't have to learn it. If I got a bazillion people under my control, who'd learn it for me? That's plausible. But, I, I, I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah. You have to have one person that can tie these strings together. It was was at least my argument. <laughs> well, I, I think the point that and I don't want to speak for Willie here, yeah. but I think the point that Willie's making is like. You have a team of 5,000 people. That's 5,000 fucking individual brains working right. toward one end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, 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 yeah. and they're all working toward one goal. So at any point, that first person's going to get across the line. And guess what? At the very end of it, well, I don't want to get into that because it's a couple chapters ahead. Right. Yeah, we can't. But, but at the same time, like, you know, I mean, this is 5,000 people working toward one goal. You've got one fucking teenager's brain not to denigrate any teenagers out there but i'm an adult and <laughs> up against 5000 brains i'm fucked you know i'm, I'm going to yeah, lose jeopardy against 5000 brains every time you know i, I have well, to I have to say that wade is presented as superhuman though yeah, uh, d- yeah. It, the level of research they say he does is unfathomable to me as it well it is well no that's <laughs> what we talked about with aaron it was aaron uh-huh. yeah aaron yeah fucking the peep <laughs> when he was on the podcast, we talked about it like like it would be as far as timelines go, it would be impossible for him to digest all of the shit that he digested. No. 
Just saying that he read all the books of all the authors is like it was ridiculous. All the, books, all the authors, all the movies, <laughs> all the music, all the music games, memorized the music. everything. Yeah, how does he have time to play? I feel like if you're playing video games to the expert level, like he is, you don't have time to read like endless amount of novels. Dude, dude it took memorize two weeks to do this fucking podcast, <laughs> or memorize dozens of this movies. Podcast. That's right. Yeah. I mean, think about the movies that he's had to memorize. Yeah. I mean, just to to, to get the oh, right one dude. and have memorized that fucking movie. Dude, I, I, I watched War Games like two days ago, and I love that movie. I've seen it a million times. And I was like playing the game in my mind like to see if I could guess any of Matthew Broderick's dialogue. It was impossible because so much of his dialogue is just like, oh, yeah, hey, oh, what's up, guys? Like, like completely incidental, like not memorable. He wasn't saying like the force will be with you always. He was just saying like imp- like completely untrackable normal conversational things you know what i mean yeah. yeah we're not talking about like one-liners like what about the twinkie yeah exactly yeah uh, one of you guys mentioned that like, ghostbusters would be like the best movie to play through that, that was I, john right oh my yeah. god i'd love that that would be the i agree that movie i i'd have the smallest one percent chance to to maybe to like to to get my way through it but i doubt it you know because i'm Ferris sure it's mine yeah that's another great choice too but Ferris Bueller's probably way harder than Ghostbusters, though, I bet. I could do Ferris Bueller today. <laughs> okay, that's impressive. That's awesome. But anyway, if you watch War Games, there's nothing that Matthew Broderick says that's like you would just like have remembered him. You know what I mean? Even if It'd you have wa- to be karaoke for me. Yeah. Like I'd have to see the words going across the screen. Yeah. Okay, I, I've never done this on the podcast, even a part that was edited out. I'm going to do the first couple of minutes of Ferris Bueller's Day <laughs> just to prove it. Okay. Just to prove that I can. All right. Uh, do I need to pull out the quotes here? <clears throat> the movie starts. Tom, dog barks. What's wrong? What's wrong? For Christ's sake, look at him, honey. <laughs> he says his stomach hurts and he's seeing spots. Papa, <laughs> Papa, I can't see that far. <laughs> What's wrong, champ? <laughs> I'm telling you, man. I think I mixed up a couple of lines there, but no, 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 that's still. that's, that's how I remember I'm, it. I'm I can see it in my mind. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> well done. Yeah. No, I, dude. If just given the fairest parts, I could do it. I don't know. It seems tough. But to have remember not just one movie, like one niche movie. Yeah. He had to remember dozens. It could have been any dozens movie. of yeah. movies. Yeah, because just because they picked like one movie that he knew, like it wasn't like coincidental. Well, that happened to be the one thing I knew how to right. do. I, no, he fucking memorized dozens of movies. How did, how did Shoto and Dido pass the War Games test? <laughs> that, that really blows my mind. Through a language barrier. I know. That's a, there's no way. Fucking incredible. I wonder if the movie was like it translated. I gotta yeah. say, dude, like the whole time that I read this book, I thought Dido and Shoto were the best gunters. Really? Yeah. That's a a good debate. I don't know. Because here's the thing. They had to learn a different language. Now, I don't know what the Oasis does as far as, like, translating things. Maybe they automate that. Right. Did they ever bring that up in the book? I don't think they They, do. They do. Well, through another – without giving spoilers, they they talk about translation issues later. And they say it's not reliable. Right. But still, I mean, like, you're talking about, you know, thousands of page tome. Right. So it's Siri. (laughs) You know, in Anorak's Almanac. Right. Plus, you know, I mean, all the other hurdles of, of, you know, interacting with other gunters or interacting with NPCs. They speak English, though. They do, but they had to learn English. Yeah. Now, think about it. Like, uh, 
Is it Daito? We can edit this out, but is it Daito or Shoto that dies? It's Daito. Daito. It? Daito's the smaller one. And yeah. Shoto, no, Daito's the older one, and Shoto's the one that is better Sh- with English. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. But but Shoto's only like 13, right? Right, or 14 or something. Yeah. So when the hunt came about, he was still like eight like, years old. Yeah. Yeah. They said he, I think he had an American parent, maybe, or something of that nature. I don't recall that. I, I could. That could be. That could be out of my ass. I don't know. It might be. I don't know. <laughs> I thought blonde hair was out of your ass, but you know, I'll, 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 tell you, I'll tell you something. If I denied it right now, that would be out of my ass. <laughs> I can't really argue that point. Okay. But but still, Japanese is like his native language. You know yeah. what I mean? So yes. it's like regardless of whether or not you have an American parent, regardless of whether or not English is your second language, the fact that it's your second language automatically puts you at a disadvantage. Yeah, I would, I would hate yeah, to have had definitely. A, I would hate it if the movie was like Drunken Master. Right. Only in the original dialect. Exactly. Like imagine nope. imagine Fuck. if like imagine if a guy came out and he said I have 249 billion dollars to give to you if you can figure out my intricate riddle in English. which is very specific. <laughs> By the way, you got to learn it in Italian. Oh right, Good yeah. Fucker. <laughs> and you've never spoken Italian in your life. So all of a sudden, okay, before I learn all of these fucking movies, which, by the way, are originally in English and all this music, which is originally in English and all this other th- all these other things, which are all originally in English. I have to learn the fucking language first. Yeah. Huge barrier to get over. Yeah. You're at a disadvantage automatically. Well, Wade had to learn Latin. I mean, that wasn't easy. <laughs> but yeah, but it, did, but it did get him to the first clue. Yeah. For a part, for yeah. one part. You know, not the whole fucking thing. Him and Artemis, the only ones who figure that out. Right. Somehow. (laughs) Okay. So the third. (laughs) Wade's the best Gunter, by the way. (laughs) It's kind of indisputable. (laughs) Chris, Mm. who's the best Gunter? You're going to say Artemis, I feel. Uh, Who's the best Gunter? Um, But um, I think it's Wade. I think that uh, he, he took all aspects of the game the most seriously. Okay. Like Artemis focused on certain things and not others, and H focused on certain things and not others, and that got them far in the Oasis in certain respects. But uh, Wade had the most poverty <laughs> to give him the most <laughs> drive to learn the widest range. Yeah. But his, go ahead. I went. I I had Ray on. I recorded an episode of the podcast last night with Gunter Ray, which will come out very soon. Um, I don't think I don't think Ray is um is the best. Ray is a blogger that I, I interviewed. Yeah, I was just kind of moving him aside. I don't think he's the best. <laughs> she, she. <laughs> oh, my bad. <laughs> she. Yeah, Gunter Ray is a she, and she All was right. my guest on the podcast last night. And asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I had to edit that out. <laughs> She's the one that not. runs the. She runs the Tumblr blog Artie's Missives, which a lot of people know. <sighs> okay. All yeah. Right. And Ray was making the argument to me last night that Artie, of course, is the best Gunter. And she made some points that are hard to refute. First oh, of all, okay. who found who who found the Tomb of Horrors first? Art- Artemis. Who found the second gate first? Artemis. What what's the reason that Wade reaches the third gate? He picks up Artemis' shoes. No, but fuck this. It, she I- was the most prepared. <laughs> 
She she didn't wait. What the fuck she was doing? Are we we're not in recording. We're in non edit mode, right? Yeah. Oh no, we're totally. This is all the game. Um, because the because thir- Art Wade figures out one of the gates before Artemis. Which one? Um, I can say right. The third gate. No, is that the third one? The one, the one with the uh, rush. Yeah. Well, no. Well, what was right before rush was uh, uh, Blade Runner. He didn't figure that out before her, though, did he? Yes, he did. The contest was all but over until. Uh... Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that was after the second gate. Yeah. No. That so that was the rush thing. Yeah, I, rush I came it's... at. Well, rush. Edward, everyone would have gotten rush. The rush clue was obvious. Right. But the the, but the Blade was, Runner was like impossible. Out, uh, the the foil. Right. Yeah. That was insane. That was a that was quite the feat by Wade. There's I, I might excellent piece of fan fiction about that. <laughs> by the way, where they rewrite that chapter, yeah, and they explain why IOI found the next step before Wade did. Mm. It's really fucking cool. I'll have oh, to share I, it with I got, you. Yeah, share that with me. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I I'm not arguing that that Artemis and H aren't aren't great hunters like Leet, right? What I'm saying is that 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 uh, you don't have to be first to be best. You know, you have to excel beyond. Yeah. You know, you can catch up to somebody who stumbles just because they're ahead of you doesn't make you them better. It's that you can keep pace and move beyond. And he has not only the breadth, breadth, but depth yeah. of I knowledge mean, because she comes off and says, who the fucking joust joust? Well, joust was on the fucking list of games that he liked. Why yeah. wasn't she practiced up on joust? And if she fucking was good at Pac-Man, she would have survived at the end, too. You know, it, it, it's, well, it's here's through the his breadth and depth that he was able to persevere beyond the stumblings the, that everyone has. Here's the thing. If he had been adept at figuring out riddles, he would have found the thing first. If she had been adept at joust, she would have beat it first. Man. So I call it a fucking draw. But I don't think so. They both found it. They both figured out the riddle independently, the initial one. But she found it first. So what? That is impressive that she found it first. I think that is well, a legit just accomplishment. That's a matter of happenstance. Oh, really? fuck off, Chris. Come on, man. <laughs> How is that? Look, no. she could have found it a year earlier and been done it for a it's year. It's not happening. She could have found it a week later. And it wouldn't matter because they didn't really cross. They both found it. I think it's happened. I think she – no, it's not happenstance. I think that's like the, an insane accomplishment that she finds it first by five weeks. Hold on. I, gotta I think it's a happenstance that they find it in such a close time relative to each other. Sure. That is kind of uh, a little – well, I mean, the book kind of makes it so they run into each other, and that makes sense. Of course, sense, and right? that's a plot Yeah, yeah, device. yeah, that's but, right, that's but true, yeah. still, all I'm saying is, if you want to talk about acuity, they're at the same level. They definitely There's are. There's no yeah. denying that. Wade's, oh, yeah. At the very least, they're even. I think Wade's just more, like, insane. Like, uh, one of you guys just said it. He's way more, uh, I think, Chris, you just said it. He's way, He's got way more breadth of something, passion. He's got more breadth and more depth in the material. Yeah, he's, he's more obsessed than Artemis in a strange way. I mean, if we were talking about like if it came down to a physical competition in in the Oasis, he'd be fucked. Like that's not where yeah. he focused his reserves. Like he would H would slaughter his ass and and Artemis would absolutely pulverize him. There's the, no question about you know, it. You know what the difference is? Artemis's goal is to save the world and and Wade's goal is only to win the contest. Right. Well, I think both are good motivators. <laughs> yeah, but I mean but the the point is like that gives uh, that might give Wade a, a small edge of like passion because he just is only obsessed with the content. He doesn't care about anything else in the world. Artemis has like a a life outside the Oasis it, to an extent. 
when, when we talk about the about amount it. of time, when yeah. we talk about the amount of time it takes to learn this material, because we, we just said a few minutes ago, how's that fucking possible? All the books, all the movies you'd have to memorize, <laughs> yeah. all the songs you have to listen to, and all the video games you got to become master yeah. at. Yeah. How is it possible? It's not. Well, well oh, yeah, you know, That's Artemis not. and H are prof- like Artemis blocks, and H is a professional fighter. So they spend time getting good at other things in the Oasis because yes. they can. The time that 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 um, Parsifal has to dedicate that would otherwise go to something like right. that—he's almost forced. He can't to. afford that level. Yeah, yeah. He's forced to just fucking research. That yeah. is his game. That's true. So I'm not saying that they're not all elite, or that in other instances <laughs> that, that the other two wouldn't be better than him. I'm just saying that in this these particular circumstances, first is does not indicate better. You know that that he was able to move beyond, even though they got to a certain point before him. I agree with you. I the agree. first person to cross the gate was not better. <laughs> Can I uh <laughs> going back to the uh the uh the chapter here, um I just I feel like Wade's entire plan here with IOI, and this might be a redundant, you can cut this out too, uh, is that um it's just all a big psych. Like that <laughs> That's his only motivation was to like go to this meeting to uh, troll. Yeah, it's just psych. <laughs> just troll him. Yeah. It's like you you showed them Wade. And also, okay, and then I want getting back on on uh on track here with this chapter. I also want to say that IOI you know, okay, so Sorrento reveals that uh he, you know, Wade's trailer is has bombs attached to it and he can blow it up remotely at any time. So he better comply. Well, Real quick, yeah. I, I, I'm I'm going to stop you there. Yeah. Just just because, uh, for order of chapter yes. here, if you don't mind. No, no, of course. Make of course. that make that point. But but yeah. your first one was good. So the third the third offer <laughs> is made to Wade, and Wade, you know, roundly just denies it. Uh, Wade for, at first demands that <laughs> that Sorrento is fired. And that he takes over the oology division, yeah. uh, in in a you know in act of absolute posturing, and I I have to bring this up because John's not here. This is the part that gave him chills. It was the part that kind of gave me chills about this chapter, or at the very beginning of the chill factor. What does Sorrento say when Wade knocks him down? Finally, says you know what? Not interested. Stands <laughs> up and is about to walk out. And what does Sorrento say? Wade. Sit down. <laughs> yes, that is a good yeah. moment. Yeah. Very good moment. That was the best moment. Boom. Yeah. That's a strong he, point in the book. He drops He drops that. I mean, so much. Like, if you're a reader or if you're listening, it doesn't matter. Transcends yes. medium. That moment where he says his fucking name, you're just like, huh. Jig is up. <laughs> yeah, he's it, fucked. It's the well, first- the leverage swaps. It's the first moment, and Chris and I talked about this the other day. This is the beginning of the end for Wade, <laughs> as far as the disassociation of the Oasis from reality. Yeah, it's the very beginning of the end. Wade yeah. has lived his entire life in this sort of blissful existence of the Oasis, and he's always been clawing out of reality to get back to the Oasis. This is the first time in his history that the two have sort of transcended each other. And it's fucking terrifying as a reader to see that. Yeah. It's got to be terrifying for him, but as a reader to say that, okay, well, all your boundaries are fucking gone. (laughs) 
Like that safety net you had is gone. No longer are you safe here. Yep. Yeah. And what, yeah. what a week he's had. It's been a fucking week. It's been well, it's been a twenty four hours yeah. for sake. I mean, this is all happening in a very short span of time. It's, let's seventy two hours. Let's say. Well, we're 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 fourteen chapters in. Yeah. Right now, and yesterday, in terms of the book, yesterday morning is when he left his aunt's his aunt's stack. Right. So we're not even. We're, we're just about at twenty four hours. Well, no, because he slept for 12 hours. Did, doesn't he go to school, though, at some point and then check? You're right. Email? You're right. You're right. You're right. It yeah, might be, it's a couple of days. Not, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. It's about, it's about, yeah, I guess 48, 72 hours, something like that. Yeah. Okay. But anyways, yeah. regardless, regardless, it's a, it's a very short span of time between when he finds the key or has the realization that he's about to find the key and he's standing here and this guy knows his fucking name, knows who he is. Not, not Parzival. He knows who Wade is. That's terrifying. Yeah, because he could have only gotten it from one place. And here's why I think this is genius. I don't know. Did did they go into the fact in this chapter? I I, I might have forgotten this part. It might have been in the next chapter, guys. This is an edit point. But they bring up in the fact in this chapter that it was his principal that gave him up, right? Yes. Well, no. It might be the. That's a good question. I think it is brought up in this chapter. I think it is. Yeah, it is brought up because yeah. he specifically says, "It's a shame. It's it's a shame what what principals get paid at these schools." So we just went in and bribed him, and he found your information for us. Right. So because he's like, "How the fuck did you know that?" And he's like, "Well, let me tell you a story." Right. I want to bring something up here. Okay, so Sorrento's number is six five five three two one, which is Alex's number from. Clockwork Orange. Mm-hmm. Okay. The moment this reminds me of is the moment that Alex gets out of prison and he sees his drugs for the first time. <laughs> and his drugs are cops. Yeah. And they take him into the woods and they beat him. And the filter that they have on that camera is just like this like golden hour. It's like dusk. It's just before dusk. And he's getting fucking ribbed with that billy club. Right? And it's making that springing sound every time it hits him. And they're dunking his head in the water. And it's the most surreal image that you can possibly imagine. It's like his reality is completely departed from what he what he recalls from, you know, before he went into prison. Mm. He comes out and it's a completely different reality for him. This is that transition point for Wade. And I find it really cool that they use Sorrento's number as Alex. I don't know why they use him as Alex, because for Wade, Wade is sort of the Alex character here. He's the one that's sort of having his reality broken. And I don't know what role Sorrento plays in that, but well, but, but still, yeah. I, it's, it's this reality-breaking moment for Wade right. leading into this moment where all of a sudden, everything around him needs to be questioned. Yeah, I... That sucks for Wade. <laughs> it does. It's a fucking living nightmare. I know. His life is bad enough as it as it is already. And when I when I reached this point, I was thinking, uh, why why three? Like why didn't we just cut to the fucking threat? And I suppose if you can get somebody with money, you can still use that leveraged over them if they get to a point down the road where they're not doing what you want them to do. Right. Kind of like a leash on a dog. Uh, you know, but you know, this idea that 
that at any time they really could just off him. You know what? I, I my thought that I was gonna uh, my point I was gonna make earlier was that why doesn't why is IOI even messing around if they know who he is and where he is? Why don't they just kidnap him? That's probably still illegal. Yeah, but uh, killing so him's killing illegal them. too, <laughs> <laughs> you know? and threatening him, threatening to kill him is illegal. They totally could have. Ah. He's a he's a total like vagabond, you know, homeless kid more or less. They could have just thrown him in a truck, and uh, or whatever, and driven him to an IOI headquarters and forced him to to work for them. Well, I think well, he's just saying that like it would be better to pay him, yeah. like buy him off than kidnap him. Yeah, let alone yeah. kill him. But even you want, okay, you, want, but, you do really want take, buy-in. Like, like, let's find the in between here. Yeah, before you kill him, let's put an option four before we go to option five, which is kill him. Let's just swipe him up because it's, he's he's uh, valuable, right? It's like killing him. It's like if you could just ki- if you know where he is, you could just and he's totally defenseless. Just kidnap him and force him to work for you. At that point, uh, killing him is like a waste because then you could maybe spend the next twenty years trying to figure out how to win the contest or someone else. H or Artemis does it before you but you have other resources well my thinking was if if there's any kind of relationship that they could potentially know about threatening someone's life are you going to get cooperation is that going to give you buy-in now in in this situation he's really just saying look we'll give you five million but you got to do something right now and you got to take us right to the door and you cannot log off until it's done we are paying you for what we are going to get and if you do not give that to us you will die but he makes the point. He makes the point that they were probably going to kill him anyway. Yeah, and I think they would have. Well, I, Wade makes that point. Sorrento but, says we don't want to kill, and yeah. you know if we can do this deal, then great. But he comes but he knows to that logical place because he comes to that logical place. Let him go because he's already there. Yeah, they'd be compromised because they'd want him back again to for the next thing when they couldn't figure it out. Right. Yeah, so it makes sense, I guess, in the beginning for them to try to get buy-in from him to right. join their team. You know, if you, if you can't, you know, beat him, join him kind of thing, or if you don't well, want to join all, him, then... Here's them. the thing, though. Here's the thing. This is the only guarantee. Wade may be right about to go into the second gate. He may not. Right. The only thing that they do know is that he's passed the first gate and that they have not, right? Yeah. So they're five minutes a drop in the bucket. They're asking for a walkthrough up to that first gate. They're, that's that's the only thing that they want. Now, if that's the only thing that they want, that puts them dead even with Parzival. What's the reason for keeping him alive? There's none. But if, if all they want is to get even with him, even to I don't mean even because he's crossed them. I mean even on the playing life. field, right. right? What's the point in keeping him alive? Because they're like, well, we can figure out the second clue. We'll just take you out of the game. Well, what's the point of threatening his life? Why give that up? I mean, I mean, imagine if I come to you and I say, look, here's the third deal. We're going to give you $5 million if you walk us through. And, and right up to I'll the point, you've got to decide <laughs> that now. And then you say, go fuck a duck. And by the way, I want to come back to that because I've got comments about that. But <laughs> uh, We're almost uh, done here. We need to be done very soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, I mean... It, but to actually give up the I've got a bomb on your trailer and you will do this now, my thinking is kind of like if if somebody just offered me five million to walk them up to the place of equal, which they'll probably get to anyhow. OK, but then to threaten death, that's the place where you're like, well, they're just going to kill me either way. But if death isn't even on the table, then 
the option seems at least more reasonable. Does that make sense? Like, I yes, would be more convinced to take the five million if he didn't threaten to kill me than if he did. It's almost scarier. To, uh, well, to threaten to kill me, well, that's a great piece to wield. I mean, if I just logged off, he doesn't have to threaten to kill me to just simply kill me. He could just say, take the five million, dude. It's the easiest way to go, you know, yeah. uh, but not threaten to kill me. And I could say, well, maybe or maybe not. And if I logged off and didn't give you what you want, boom, he's dead. He's off the scoreboard now. You know, but why play that? Why play the death card? But because if he, dies, he would have had more leverage. If he dies in the Oasis, he has to go back to scratch, right? No, I'm not talking about dying in the basis. I mean dying for real. No, I know that. But if he oh. dies in the Oasis, does he have to go back to scratch? He doesn't have the key anymore. Yeah, right. That's where at least that's what's So why the fuck just not kill him in the Oasis? <laughs> well, they try to. I know they try to. I mean, they've been trying to they've been trying to kill every gunter from the beginning. Yeah, that's true. Uh, uh, and I don't know, but they can't kill him. Level scared. 10, they can kill him. Yeah, but I mean, they, they it, it might be a situation him. where that would be difficult to do. Or I'm maybe just he just saying if they didn't, if they had no reason to utilize him, they could have killed him by now. Um, in the they Oasis? Knew where he was, yeah. Yeah, but everywhere he's been has been on a, on a no kill zone. No PvP zone. Hmm. So they they couldn't have killed him. Yeah, but they drew him out to that spot. They could have drawn him out anywhere. Maybe I don't know. It would have been like the risk. It's not like he doesn't know that's not a PVP zone. They don't say that. They don't say like, "Hey, it's no PVP here, so you're good." Well, he knows what planets are no PVP. Like at least he's not on a planet. He's on a fucking chat link. Yeah, but that's there's no you can't be killed on a chat link. That's the point. It's totally safe. That's the only reason why he went. I guess that's because he said because there's actually a part in the chapter that says, "Yeah, you, you would have loved it if I'd come because then all your goons would have come and killed my my avatar." Yeah, I which still is wouldn't why trust it though. <laughs> I would still be fucking nervous to exactly. come in any form. Like I don't care if it's like an apparition. Yeah. I'd be like, you know, they break out like the Ghostbuster equipment and suck me into a box. Um, <laughs> but I get you. But I mean, if there's like there's a comfort in the technology that that's just not even possible. Willie, do you have anything to add? Uh, no, no, not at all. Those are all my notes for Chapter 14, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> so at the very end of this, uh, there's a little bit of cock sizing here between Sorrento and Wade. Who has the bigger cock? Wade. I I have no idea. By the <laughs> – I've seen it. It's huge. Um, no, but by, by the end of this, uh, it's, you know, it, it's kind of a showdown. Uh, Sorrento's calling Wade's bluff. And – as the chapter ends, Wade takes his his visor off, and if you've seen the trailer, this moment. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, that, you're very right. Is in it. Wow. I hope that's the moment. I hope that's the moment. It could be anything though, but that I I do vote for Sorrento this is staring directly at him, and oh, you right. can yeah, almost yeah. imagine him saying, "Stupid move, kid." Yes. Takes the visor off, and there's that moment of Wade just breathing heavily and just like, "Is this real?" Is this not? And then, boom. It's the first moment in the book that the Oasis shatters reality. It fucking comes crashing down on Wade. It's no longer just a game. It's not a game anymore. And and it's well-defined. Like, when you're talking about $245 billion, this <laughs> isn't a game. People would kill for this. And will. Think about his Past, right i mean he's lived his entire life in the oasis for all intents and purposes this is the first thing and he comes from a drug-addled just wrecked home 
you know, the worst. And he lets all that pass. It just waters off his back. In a really shitty community. Exactly. Like, like he talks about pedophiles. He talks about people Uncle beating Rick. him up. Yeah. Rick's a fucking dickhead. And, you know, Aunt Alice, she's obviously, you know, just just strung out and off lady. Both of his Kelly. parents are dead. Yeah, yeah she's, she's dead. She's great. Miss G. She's great. But, you know, all of those all of those factors, right? He divorces himself from reality. Earlier in the book, we talk about like how can he stay so optimistic? It's because he has the oasis. This is the first time in his entire life that the oasis has betrayed him in a certain way. <laughs> It has pulled him out of the reality or the peace that he's known back into reality. And he has to fucking face it for the first time. This is a benchmark in the book. Well, speaking of killing people, let me ask you a question, Willie. Yeah. Given me threatening you with the same kind of third deal. Yes. Would you be more willing to do the third deal if I threatened your life or if I threatened the life of someone you cared about? Wade doesn't have anyone he cares about. Are you asking me, Willie Simpson, or me, Wade uh, Watts? Well, here's what we know. (laughs) We know that that H is a friend of his. Yeah. We don't know how much Sorrento knows. Well, he kind of admits that. To this point. He says H doesn't know much. He admits that he can't find him. Yeah. Yeah, but you know what? He could have played that. But he probably would have said, said to him, like, oh, we've got your friend H just like you right now with snipers trained on him. Yep, something like that. Yeah. yeah, could very well be like that. Although it was interesting that you had like this scenery of people in, in the place that he was familiar with, that yeah. kind of thing. Well, if you're, if To you're, kind of bridge that. If you're asking me, I, I would never have taken the meeting with IOI. That, <laughs> that, right. that, that was my problem Billy's with the chapter. Back between the chapter. <laughs> yeah. Fine, fine. But if you were the idiot that did. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Here's my thing. Okay, so I'm the idiot that would because so I. I wouldn't mind fucking with him. But – Here's the thing, okay? There's something in this chapter that goes untouched up to this point that lends credence to every threat that he's making, is that he doesn't overthreaten. He lets him know this is exactly where Artemis is. This is exactly what we know about H. We can't find him right now, but yeah. we will find him. And he's telling him exactly the stake that they have in it. Yes. I mean, he's not lying. He's telling him we, we can't find him right now, but we will. And by the way, you're going to die. He has not bullshitted him one fucking time. IOI would have fulfilled any any one of those things. The only thing that they lied about, probably, was that they probably would have killed him. No matter what choice he made, they probably would have killed him. Yeah. And that was his fault for showing up. But they already had the bomb rigged. Yeah, if he didn't show up, they could have just killed him anyhow. They would have killed him anyhow. Ah, Eventually. It's good that he did. Right. So, Willie, you would be well, dead by now if you were, I mean, if you were him. Well, <laughs> no, I'd be in my hideout. I'd be all right. Here's the thing. I don't know if it's been retconned in. I do, like, it seems a little bit retconned when you bring it up like that. I mean, like, why would you take that? I, I don't think it's retconned because I think Ernest Klein had it in his mind that Wade was going to go to that fucking meeting because that's just who Wade is. You right. know what I mean? So there's no reason to retcon that in. But at the same time, you know, IOI is giving clear fucking just they're laying it all out for him they really put their cards on the table here's what we know we don't have shit i mean first of all we know nothing <laughs> dido and shoto have figured it out artemis has you know she figured it out before him h figured it out we have four other people on the fucking scoreboard right now four other people 
and a team of 5,000 still, and, and knowing who Wade is, knowing where he goes to school, they still need a fucking walkthrough yeah, somehow. Crazy. Somehow still need a walkthrough. Okay? But, okay. I can't get into spoilers, so never mind. <laughs> but but they still need a walkthrough. Yes. And, and, and like, there it is. So they, they lay their cards out on the table. They say, we have no, we have, we have no way forward right now. Our so you're saying they're, they're honesty to this point lends them believability. Well, that and when they're threatening him, they say, we don't know where your friend is. We'll find him. Right. This is your other friend, or we think she's your friend. We know where she is. And yeah, see, they're wielding if their they had honesty. Said, we know where arrogance. you are. I, I, I would, if they had said, look, we know where you are, and here's proof of it. And here's your trailer. And by the way, we know where the other two are, too. But we really need you. You've done a great job. So here's how this is going to work. We're going to start killing these other gunters. Maybe it clears the path for you. Maybe you like these people. Maybe you don't. But that's okay because their deaths are going to be on your head. And uh, we'll start killing until you take the third option. So I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to think on that before I hit the first button. And we kill off Artie. And then uh, another 30 seconds later, we're going to kill off H. And then who knows what we might do to you 30 seconds after that. So just She's take... a solo gutter. What if he says, okay, go for it? <laughs> Bluff called. Well, that's they had that a true. Back to his place. They did not that, have bombs trapped in theirs. That might be true, but you know what? It, he would only realize that after they blew up his place. They knew which would have been. Say, they knew he was going to say no anyways. Well, well, they don't know that. That's why they brought him in. All right, Willie, what were but, you going to say? Nothing. The... This is uh, I, I this is scratched an itch I've had for the six years this book has been out to talk about it this in depth <laughs> with anyone. <laughs> uh, if if I was as as heart heart pounding about Artie as as I as I think that Wade is portrayed, I, I would have had deep 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 second thoughts. Like I might go fuck it, you know. I think you're. I'm going to call your bluff. This is my life. I'm playing with. I'll I'll roll those dice for me. But if Artie was you know, in that target, uh, I think I'd probably roll over. I wouldn't have. No, like, fucker. I would have called the bluff. I just think Wade's really lucky how everything played out. That's <laughs> well. He's, he's real lucky yeah. that IOI didn't have the drop on his friends. He's real lucky that he wasn't in his hideout at the time that they threatened to blow up and and do blow up his trailer. Um, you know, he's just he's lucky that they told him he that they would. And he's, if he... He was lucky had... to have learned what he learned about IOI from his from speaking with them, you know, despite the stupid the stupidity of going to talk to them in the first place. Right. So a lot a lot of fortune is falling towards Wade's way despite the tragedy that, you know, is ensuing right now. If they had zeroed in on his hideout instead of the trailer completely different story. Well, there is no story. Then the story picks up where Artemis is. <laughs> well I met this maybe. guy once. Yeah. yeah. Or he goes with IOI. Yeah. Because his life's actually in danger. They actually admit to him before they pull the trigger. I feel like that's why he's so cavalier. Is because he says, well, if you blow the fucking bomb, I'm not up there anyways. They show him where the bomb is attached. They're like, oh, it'd be a shame if you and your family died. And he's like, yeah, well. Yeah, I don't really think it'd be a shame if they died, but, but he thought they he thought they thought I'm they sure. were bluffing or something. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So he was he was playing with cards that he could afford to lose. Yes. 
Yeah. So if you know, I mean, it's two or three stacks worth of people. Right. (laughs) Right. Real human garbage in those stacks. Hey man, video game violence. That's that that kind of makes him as bad as IOI. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Well, he he plays with the lives of these uh, these innocent people. He does. Uh, Some of them might be assholes, but you know, some of them were good people. It's not just one stack; it was multiple stacks that blew up. Miss G is a sweetheart. Yeah, and the cats. And the cats. All of them. All yeah. 1,100 of them. All of them were not assholes. They did, they did not, like, push cups off of tables. Yeah. It was all good. All I, uh, gotta, but yeah. all I have to say is that I'm with Sorrento. I, I hope he wins so he can make the Oasis a better place. It seems that, you know, <laughs> seems they need filter controls and whatever other IOI uh, things they want to implement. I can tell that the Oasis is just a, it's too crazy. <laughs> it needs that nice corporate sheen. Well, could you imagine if Comcast had like, (laughs) you know, hey, um, we need you to help us with the Internet stuff. Otherwise, uh, we're not just going to cut your cable and HBO. We're going to come kill you. What if I uh, what if I break your legs? (laughs) What if that happens? All right. Yeah. Anyways, whether it's the real world or whether it's the Oasis, Wade's world has been absolutely fucking shattered. (laughs) (laughs) And so we go into chapter 15. But before we get there, I really want to thank our special guest tonight, Willie Simpson. Willie, it was fucking awesome being on the X-Men TAS podcast. And it was really awesome having you. Before we go, though, uh, let's talk about your podcast a little bit. So the X-Men TAS podcast, (laughs) TAS, it's basically a podcast that's a lot like our own. It goes episode by episode through the animated series, uh, the X Men animated series from the nineties. Uh, Willie, what got you into that? What what got you into that podcast? Um, well, it, it was just a podcast I always wanted to hear, and it didn't exist. And I just I listened to a lot of podcasts, and I said I, you know, it's it's like the. Um, it's it's like the same reason I became a musician. It's, you just you get tired of being a fan, and you actually want to make something. So, uh, you know, I, I, I saw that no one had a podcast about the X-Men animated series, so I just I took it upon myself, and with the help of uh, my girlfriend, Sonia, um, we just dove right in, and it's, it's really been a blast since we started. We've, you know, steadily uh, increased our listenership. There's a lot of people who love the show, and it's just it's been a lot of fun. And I can't thank you guys enough for, first of all, having me on your podcast, and Ryan for coming on... Um, for coming on the X Men Task podcast and uh, open invitation to either of you guys if you ever want to come back if you ever need something to promote you know just let me know your the door is wide open to come back and to talk about X Men wherever you want dude it was a blast sitting down and talking with you and Sonia I mean it was it was nice <laughs> to not have to like you know write out the show and everything and just be a guest for once yeah. it was it was fucking fantastic <laughs> yeah but I mean it was uh, I, I had a great time uh, oh, the that's episode. So nice. The episode we did was called uh, Mojo Vision. Oh, that's the, right, yeah. The 11th episode of the second season, I believe it was. Yes. And you know what? I can tell that Ryan was on there because uh, I'm looking at this. Like, it's episode 24, Ready Player One discussion, August 20th release. And all the other ones are like 39 minutes, 39 <laughs> minutes, 40 minutes. The one with Ryan, 69 minutes. Yeah. That's right. We yeah, like it took that, just though. a little bit longer. I yeah. tend, yeah, I tend to ramble a little bit, no, and I did on that podcast. There's only so much to say <laughs> about a 22 minute show that's like nearly 30 years old or whatever. <laughs> so there's the... only so much to say <laughs> about five pages in a chapter, and it, it, it comes out to about three hours. Yeah. 
it's no. a fucking nightmare. <laughs> yeah, but seriously, uh, th- thank you guys so much. And um, yeah, the X Men Task Podcast. If you like the cartoon, if you just like, um, you know, the X Men in general or Marvel or comic books, give it a give it a listen, give it a subscribe. I think people will really enjoy it. It's um, me... we try to it, it's it's you know you're right. It is similar to your podcast. We try to keep it light and fun and and go deep where we can and uh, you know poke fun at the things we love without you know being too you know uh hard or crazy about it and um so yeah i i do feel a kinship with your podcast um can i promote one more thing if you don't mind i'm gonna please do okay um like i I mentioned i'm i'm also a musician and um i've never promoted this before not even on my podcast but i thought it was relevant for yours so i released an album like four years ago um it's called funeral business and um, I'm not asking anyone to buy it or anything. In fact, all the songs are free on YouTube if you want to search them out. But uh, the, the title track of my album, a Funeral Business, um, it's very much inspired by the Oingo Boingo song, Dead Man's Party, which uh, is cool. um, you know featured in, I, I guess, like the first or zero chapter of Ready Player One. Um, so that... You know, that's the only reason why I'm mentioning it is because that that song always held a special place for me. And I, I kind of like consciously or unconsciously created it, it doesn't sound like it or anything, but it, it's of a similar theme in, in a weird way. I mean, if you listen to it, um, you'll get it. And the music video of it on YouTube is just like spliced to the Ghostbusters movie. So. Well, fuck it. That's so- that song is going to play us out on this podcast. Oh, my God. Can you send us an MP3? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay, well, yeah. We'll, we'll play that at the very end of the podcast. Oh, so, uh, and just, cool. to, just to make sure we got the name of the of the podcast, it's, it's X-Men T-A-S, T-A-S, which is yeah. the animated show, right? Well, the animated series. We, we I'm call sorry, it, animated series. We okay. call it the X-Men Task Podcast because it rhymes. But you're right. If you're searching for it, X-Men T-A-S Podcast. But got we'll, it. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll share a link to their podcast in our show notes. Um, closing us out tonight is going to be uh, is it Willie Simpson? Is that the name yeah, of the band? Willie Simpson yeah. featuring Andrew Lee, my old buddy. He plays guitar. He's a genius. Um, yeah. So uh, funeral business is the song. All and right, the, so, and the album. So coming up is Willie Simpson and Andrew Lee doing a funeral business. <laughs> Until next time, I am Ryan. I am Chris. I'm Willie. And that is get to the good part. So long, folks.
Stays in the morgue, he's nights in a crypt with the gutter and gold. 